Hey everybody, welcome back to Fanholes Toku Thursdays. In case you haven't been aware, we've been trying to kind of get back on the game train. Hopefully you've uh, recently heard us talk about the Common Rider Wizard X guy movie. That was the last one we were talking about. In case you're wondering why we did that, it wasn't just to talk to Luke Giaconetti, which was totally awesome, don't get me wrong. But also at the end, there's something that leads directly into the next thing we're doing. The story arc called either Adulthood or the Yggdrasil Saga. And really one of the reasons why we really wanted to get back to Gaim is we didn't realize people were really missing it. I think my friend Derek here tonight, my fellow fanhole, even got an email about it. Yeah, we, we actually got some heads up from Ron Sadowski over on Facebook. He had been asking me when the next Toku Thursdays was coming out. And at the time, we didn't have too much prepared, so I told him maybe there'd be something coming up, but we weren't sure. And then we actually kind of got off our asses and started recording some more of these again and everything and figured out how we were going to do this show moving forward with the arcs and everything like that. But we did get some, some email feedback from Ron, so we'd just like to read that out on the air and, of course, give him a shout-out and tell him we appreciate him being a loyal listener. So he says, Tony and Derek, thank you for getting a new Toku Thursday up. Enjoyed you switching to story arcs instead of individual episodes. I had to go back and watch a couple to remind myself with what was happening. Yes, I had finished the series a while back, and now it's hard to remember the early days when we didn't know... stuff. You mentioned the Wizard <laughs> Guy movie took place during this arc. I haven't seen that, but it might make a nice one-shot show if you reviewed it, if you are having better luck than me to find a fan sub. So, of course, if you're listening to this now, we assume you've listened to our show on Guy and Wizard, which we did do as a one-shot, so it's kind of serendipitous that you made that suggestion, and this is something we actually went ahead and did. And, of course, your buddy from Two True Freaks Network, Luke Giaconetti, was also on that show so we hope you enjoyed that and as far as finding a fan sub i know that tony i and luke during that episode we used the tv nihon sub for that and then i'm pretty sure there's an overtime sub of that out there somewhere as well so if you just look up tv nihon and overtime you should be able to find a fan sub of that for yourself ron and then he ron goes on to say i haven't started common rider drive I'm currently 20 episodes into the original Kamen Rider series from 1971. I, I, speaking for myself, I've seen a few episodes of that, probably like somewhere in the teens, and I was enjoying that as well. So I'll probably try to hopefully maybe get back into that with you myself, Ron. Ron goes on to say, I might move a bit faster now that there is no more Flash, Constantine, and Agent Carter every week. Feel free to mix it up some, like the two movies that you did with Luke. And unless I am wrong, Toku fans are willing to explore wherever Toku Thursdays will take us. Thanks for the shout-out, and until next time, Henshin. And that's from Ron Sadowski. He is a co-host over on the Dinner for Geeks podcast. So we just wanted to read his email and give a shout-out and say that we appreciate the feedback and the support. So, yeah, we, we were happy with the continued interest in that, and, and it did kind of 
inspire us to to continue on because we did kind of get sidetracked, you know, from various issues. So we are pretty much, I mean, as far as doing side kind of things on Toku Thursdays, I'm sure those will come up, but we are definitely, me and Tony are committed now to, you know, completing Gaim for sure, so so we'll definitely focus on that moving forward. Exactly. We, we have left, you know, childhood behind. We are adults now, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, yeah, that's what we're here to talk about tonight, so. Yeah, exactly. Um, segways, motherfuckers. Didn't expect that, did you? <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's what that's what the next arc we're going to be talking about is called. Uh, it's called the Yggdrasil Saga, but it's also kind of subtitled Adulthood. This is where a lot of the characters, especially the younger characters, kind of realize how big the stakes are getting. It's, it's no longer just about dance competitions or, like, you know, Pokemon Invest games. There's something bigger going on here, and we definitely find that out right out of the gate. Let me... Go ahead and go to my resource. I, I use the, uh, just to plug, I use the Common Rider Wiki because I haven't watched these episodes, but just because, guys, I'm old. I forget stuff. So if you ever want to, like, just read stuff really that's, you know, helpful, uh, look up the wiki. It's a very cool wiki. It has a lot of information and stuff. So, but enough of that, enough plugging. We're going to go ahead and go into the first episode of this arc. Now, this is the uh, 12th episode uh, overall, but it is, like I said, the first episode of the arc. And this one is called New Generation of Riders Appear. There you go. We already got something that seems like it's kind of big going on here. When we last left off, they were doing the big Christmas hunt. That was like the uh, one where they're trying to find the lock seeds in the forest. And it was also just a ploy by Kota and Michi to find out what Yggdrasil was about. And they did, kind of. Not all the way, but still. Now, the big thing, however, though, is basically what they found out, though, especially Kota is that the Yggdrasil Corporation is kind of using the Beat Riders. They're basically using them for data about the Sengoku drivers, or the Warring drivers, depending on which translation you like. This kind of hurts their morale a little bit. <laughs> so they're, they're kind of, you know, a little down. They're wondering if they should actually still be, like, you know, Beat Riders with, you know, just to help these, you know, evil corporation types, you know, like uh, Takatora and uh, Professor Waring, you know, Pe Professor Sengoku. So, you know, the thing is, though, Koda, he can't stay on the sidelines. And eventually the Invis attack again. And he, of course, transforms again. You mean, it's just how Koda is. Yeah, this is, this is sort of the first indication that there's, there's this divide developing between Michi and, and Kota because Michi's the one kind of suggesting if we keep transforming, then we're going to play into the Yggdrasil's corporation's hands. You know, that's kind of what they want us to do. So in his mind, he's like, we should do the opposite of what they want us to do. But of course, Kota can't stop protecting people. Like he can't, he can't turn it off. He can't, I guess, be as, as, methodical or cold as Michi can, where, you know, Michi's like, oh, we'll just not transform then. And, you know, when Kota sees people in danger, he's, you know, he can't help it. He's like, he's, the first thing he thinks to do is to run into action, so. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, he even goes as far to, like, you know, Michi, he wants to find out what is about, but he's kind of wanting to do it on the down low, and that's because Michi is, you know, as we've seen, his brother is the head of Yggdrasil, and he has an end. 
And I think that's why Mitchie is trying to do this because he has an end, and Coda doesn't know this, and he doesn't have an end. The only way he can do anything is by being uh, Gaim. So this is also Mitchie being kind of duplicitous. He's not telling Coda very important information. And, you know, you would think if he was a good friend, he could share this secret that his brother is, you know, the head of Vicar Brazil, you know. Well, he definitely he definitely plays close with his cards close to his vest. Like he's not he's not playing his whole hand. He's not letting everybody in on all of his cards just yet, you know, because he doesn't he he's, he's waiting to see which way the winds are going to turn. It seems like so he doesn't want to kind of let let everything you know be out on the table so that everybody can see. Yeah, but one of the things that really kind of pushes this attitude between uh, Mitchie and Coda's little spat, I guess you would say, is Yggdrasil uh, is actually kind of up the ante. If you remember in the last episode, Gale <laughs> of Chip and Dale, he got his driver destroyed by Takatora getting a little overzealous. He was he was pissed off because Hase just refused to give up the ghost. He was like, I'm going to prove myself, and... Takatora was like, I'm much more powerful and more skilled than you, and there you go. There goes your driver. Interesting enough, the Kurokage, the uh, alter ego that he had, there's a lot of these now. They're like basically shock troopers for Brazil. Think like stormtroopers and stuff. Kind of creepy. <laughs> they're, they're now the guys who take the place of the researchers who destroy any trace of Helheim that seems to permeate through the cracks uh, into the uh, Zawami city. So uh, what, what do you think about that, seeing, seeing a bunch of Dales running around? Yeah, that was kind of interesting. I mean, they, they had always said they wanted to develop it to be mass-produced. So now that they, they have all those guys, it's just kind of your standard Stormtrooper-esque characters. You, you're kind of like, oh, well, you know, obviously that's going to have Dale, you know, go on a tirade, like, because he... He he. Basically, this is his descent. You know this this arc. You know, so it's it's the first sign that he's not quite as special as as the other writer characters. Like his his specialness has sort of been degraded because now he's a mass producible item. You know, he's basically just another. You know, now now they're all a bunch of faceless kind of. I mean, I guess that's part of what you're saying, like that that it's scary because it's just a bunch of like before. It's like the faceless researchers who are kind of dressed up like the guys in ET, where it's all scary and they're scientists and they have these like hazmat outfits on and everything like that. But now it's like the the common writer, gime version of a hazmat team, but they're all kind of writers <laughs> where they have these kind of flat colors and you know the uh, you know the masks that obviously hide their features so so it's this kind of impersonal thing and of course they show up with like flamethrowers and you know the same kind of stuff to to eliminate any traces of evidence from you know invest attacks and that you know anything that would implicate the Yidrazel corporation in in any of the incidents that that occur in Zawame yeah yeah there's these few scenes dealing with uh, Coda and uh, Michi trying to figure out the right course of action. Coda, of course, wanting action, action, and Michi wanting to be a little bit more uh, cloak and dagger. Uh, we go to Derek's girlfriend. <laughs> this was a cool scene because it seems like they're going back to that whole, you know, Mai and Kaito kind of having they, – they relate well together. And it seems like you find out a lot more information than you did before because they, they sort of shared their stories, but now they – they started to visualize, like, because he's there 
in the middle of this basically mud hole and it's kind of like why why are you here and it's like oh this is where this is where the spiritual tree used to be and you know basically Kaito's there because he wants to remind himself. He's like, this used to be something, and now it's turned into absolute shit, you know? And, and I want to remind myself yeah. to, to stare down the, the Yggdrasil building, the, the corporate building, and, and build myself up and give myself the motivation to be stronger than them. And, you know, my is there basically, I think, just out of reminiscence, you know? Like, she kind of shares the idea that just because that area is gone, the feelings behind it for her are not gone. Like, that she wants to still share the feelings that she brought to people. Because she was, it's kind of cute. Like, she, it's kind of like, like, I, I, I don't know, it's funny. Like, this, this might be kind of personal or whatever, but it's, it, it reminds me a little bit of, of my mom because, like, th- there's this funny story that happened where my mom showed me a class picture of herself, like, when she was, I don't know, she was, like, five or six or something like that. And it was supposed to be, like, this challenge, like, you know, f- find your mother in, in this class photo. And it's, like, you know, it was this old black and white photo, and it was in Catholic school and everything. And you'd think, like, oh, well, if they're all wearing uniforms, you know, it, it must be, like, this difficult ordeal to locate your mother at five years old because you're not used to seeing her at five years old but I found her right away because I was like you're the little nun and like it was funny because like she was basically like she was the you know like the honor student or whatever and so she she basically had like the little habit and the whole little thing and she was like five and everything and, and my mom's like wow you found me so fast you know and she was all happy about that but that's that's kind of what what my is like in this case I mean you know we talked about this on the last episode with the movie the the translation difference between you know Miko of fate which of course comes up again here and you know that it actually translates into priestess of fate. And and I imagine it's the same significance. I mean, there is that spirituality and religious nature to what she did back then, you know, that, that she was dancing, you know, not so much like she is now as a beat writer, like because she loves dancing and wants to bring that joy to people, but that there was also an aspect of, you know, that, that she's like a little choir boy or a little nun or you know that that kind of aspect and then what's funny is you find out that that kaito knew her back then you know there's this this kind of interesting dichotomy of of the old or present day versions of them and then this flashback to the mud hole where there was a, a yggdrasil looking kind of spiritual tree and that he was kind of watching her do her little priestess you know, ritual dance for, for all the, the, basically the churchgoers in, in that, that, you know, congregation, which, which I think is kind of interesting. Like, it's kind of neat. Like, I like getting to find out that backstory and, and that there's other layers to it beyond what we originally knew and found out when they first started having conversations in the Helheim forest. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, Kaito doesn't really share your uh, more gentle, gentle nature though, because Keeping his armor up, you know, he listens and he does have that remembrance, but then he kind of scoffs at it, you know, because that's just how Kaito is. He he has feelings, he's a real person, but he, he doesn't allow any weakness to show. So even though he does have this connection to my, 
he's like, you know, do what you want, but, you know, and then he walks away. Yeah, he, he's kind of like, what, wait, he's like, what? When she explains to him, like, how she wants to use the dance and how she still has feelings, even though the, the tree and the, the spiritual location has been destroyed, you know, he's just basically like, that's nonsense. You know, it's basically like, ah, that's fucking bullshit. And he's like, I'm going to leave, you know, and, and I think, I think you call the nail on that. You hit the nail on the head when you say he's, he's pushing her away because he doesn't want, he, he doesn't want any kindness to be perceived as a weakness. And, you know, that, that's something that's interesting because that's something that people, I think, mistake a lot of times it's like you know that that's something i think my dad's always said to me is like don't don't mistake kindness for a weakness you know and 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 i think in this state you know kaito is definitely in that that line of thinking where he thinks if he he shows any kindness that it's like exposing a weak point so yeah exactly so you know kaito very very layered character you know he's not just a one note rival which is really cool and now we get to the point where I think Derek may have, you know, exploded with joy because my meets my. <laughs> awesome. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the blonde-haired wig version of Mai, the uh, mysterious girl, she shows up in front of Mai. So obviously I guess they are two different people, or as far as we could tell. I, I don't know. I know. Like, I, I, I See, I, I'm not spoiled. You know, I've seen this entire arc, but I haven't. I, you know, obviously I'm sort of watching this as we record and everything, but I, I sort of took it as like, you know, Cable talking to Nate Gray or something like because because yeah. they have that conversation where she the, the blonde version with the different colored contacts is like, hey, you know, there's still time. You can still change things and, and you can go off with both of them and be happy if you you change what you're about to do like you still you still can take a different path at this point before everything gets miserable like i mean that that's what it seems like it's like this this premonition from from your future self somehow or or an alternate self that somehow experienced these things like that that's kind of what i'm taking it as now and and me having no knowledge of it and you having seen it obviously you know maybe we can't delve into it too much but i you know just for the listeners like that was that's my speculation is that it's it's kind of like a you know timey wimey thing you know a, a past and future <laughs> you know meet up where it's like hey you know you you know it basically you know it's 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 you know spoilers for the flash fuckers but it's like the the berry that tells him not to save his mom you know like <laughs> from the future you know where it's like oh well you know and i remember having this conversation with my dad and he's like why didn't he save her and i'm like well if you told yourself not to do something wouldn't you listen to yourself and he's like i never do now like so why would i start <laughs> you know but but uh, but for me i was like uh, you know i was kind of thinking like well hey if, if you told yourself not to do something maybe you would do it but i think in this case with with the two mys like it's so cryptic and it's not as clear as, you know, an, an old Barry just nodding his head going, don't do this, dude, don't do this. It's more like this kind of cryptic, like, who are you? I'm not going to answer you, but I'm going to tell you, like, not to do these things. And she's kind of like, well, what? what things like you know like it, it's not it's not really spelled out like what she shouldn't be things. doing yeah. yeah you know so 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 it, it's more kind of like she's she's not sure if she's really seeing something for real and of course there's been lots of crazy things going on in Suwame city so it's not like she thinks she's crazy but at the same time she's 
you know, it's, it's not like, you know, she runs and tells everybody, hey, I saw this blonde version of me and she told me not to do certain things, but I don't know what they are. You know, like it, it seems like something she's going to have to deal with, you know, come to terms with on her own, I think, you know, but that's just my yeah, that's, my anticipation and, and, and thoughts on it to this point. Yeah, that's also why I used the wiki, because as, as stated in the email, when you watch the whole series, you know lots of stuff that happens, and you don't want to give it away if you, like, forget things out of order, so... <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, it's like, and then stuff. Interestingly enough, though, uh, one of uh, Derek's favorite characters, Hase, um, you know you love him, Derek. Dale, the great guy. Um, <laughs> Dale is feeling even worse than Michi Yoda because he couldn't transform if he wanted to. And even his team is like... Dude, you used to be a writer. Now you're just, you know, you. <laughs> you know, so so he's feeling kind of, you know, down on himself. His buddy uh, Chip Donucci, uh, he oddly enough decides to go work at Charmin. Um, Charmin is the uh, bakery that Oren runs. Uh, that would be Mister Dangerous, comment writer Bravo. Uh, unfortunately, Oren is not impressed by Chip. First of all, and second of all. Due to him meeting um, Takatora in his Zengetsu form, he's got a little bit of a crush. I don't even think it's a man crush. I think it's a crush crush. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't think that any other writer could get in the way of that. Like, that's, that's uh, you know, he's got this, this strong infatuation, shall we say, with Zangetsu. So that that seems to be foremost on his mind. But, I mean, it sounds like eventually he kind of, I don't know, they, they play it up for laughs because eventually he's he's chasing him around the bakery trying to play grab ass with him pretty much. Like, that's yeah. that's what it that's what it sort of degenerates into. But I, I, I think it's weird because, like, like Chip, seems to me to be like one of those prototypical Japanese characters. He's that, he's that swarmy, I'm supposed to be a brainy glasses guy, but I'm a douchebag kind of character. And there's like characters like that. I, I can't think of their names off the top of my head, but there's characters like that in like GTO and like different animes that I can think of off the top uh, of my head. I was, I was thinking of Weevil from uh, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! Yeah, yeah, it's like those type of characters, and it's like sometimes they they redeem themselves and and become you know trusted aides, kind of like the the character arc that Piccolo has in Dragon Ball Z, where he starts off as an evil demon king and ends up being like one of the core trusted members of the group. But in other cases, they can just be real dicky douchebags. And and at this point, it <laughs> seems like I mean, as far as I can tell, he thinks. He's going to ma- manipulate Durian. You know, he thinks he's going to manipulate Bravo. But, you know, a- as we'll see in the rest of this arc, I mean, it- it's almost like the table somehow, like, he's just not a strong enough personality, even though he thinks he is. I mean, he's a strong enough personality to get all these, like, nerdy, brainy girls to, like, join his dance troupe. But it's like he's not a strong enough personality. He- I think he thinks he can manipulate bravo and that's just not what ends up happening you know he's not he, he's just not as grand a player on the chessboard as he you know he thinks he's a queen but he's really a rook or a pawn at best you know like that's yeah. that's kind of how i see him and he thinks more of himself than than he actually is and and that sort of you know yeah. basically his plan kind of backfires on him he thinks he's going to use 
Bravo, but he's the one who essentially becomes used as we as we progress throughout this arc. Yeah, well, like, like you said, confusing kindness for uh, weakness. I think he confuses Bravo's flamboyant nature for like something he can like you know if he compliments him enough and he like you know plays up his ego. But Bravo is a military man as well, and he's used to discipline, which you know Chip doesn't really have, and it, it yeah it does turn the tables on him. I like Dale does fight with Baron, and he gets his ass kicked uh, again, yeah. not helping his. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't. Well, because it's like he doesn't, he 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 can't transform. Like his belt doesn't work, and then he resorts to pulling out his basically, as we described them as like the Pokemon, you know, the cutesy Inves. And of course, Baron makes super short work of that Inves. Like he, you know, one hit, you know, it's like one punch, one punch, you know, like he takes it out, and then after that, it's like this is our stage. And then of course, his his team basically thinks he's a joke and abandons him. And then, like we're talking about with, with Chip, you know, he he is there as well. And it's kind of like, well, aren't we supposed to be partners? Like, we're supposed to be Chip and Dale. Like, we're supposed to be buddies. And Chip is just like, no, man, I'm not going to help you against Donald Duck. Like, you fucked yourself. In fact, <laughs> I was going to take all your acorns too, just like Donald Duck did, but Donald Duck beat me to taking all your acorns. And at this point, it's like he's he's sort of like mega betrayed by like his, you know, basically his partner in crime and his whole dance team just kind of, you know, at, at that point in time, looks like they've just basically abandoned him. So he he's really kind of down in the dumps based on, you know, like not only, you know, we talk about his lack of specialness, his, his losing his identity slowly. And, and you know, maybe that, is something that happens to people in adulthood too. Like they're, they're hot shit in high school. And then you take away the football team, you take away the cheerleader girlfriend, you take away, you know, I don't know what, what, you know, the, the king of the prom thing or something like whatever I can, you know, I'm just pulling stuff out of my ass, but you take away all those things and then they get into the real world and they don't know how to function. They're not treated with the same level of, suspension where they're held on a pedestal or whatever and and they just degenerate and in this case you know dale is is in that that state now where he he was a common rider he was a dancer you know and and these things are slowly being taken away from him his belt doesn't work he's not a common rider he doesn't have the same power his stage has been taken away from him his team has left him and then his his you know supposedly his ally is also like basically like oh i was going to do the same thing anyway so he's betrayed on that level so there's basically there's tons of things you know and, and in addition like we talked about before his his suit now is mass produced and is no longer special as well so there, there's just so many yeah. things that are being stacked up against this character, you know, leading him to to a breaking point. Yeah, exactly. He just he's just not having a good time of it, and you, you almost feel bad for him. But then you're also like, <laughs> it's Dale. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but we cannot limit too much for poor Dale. We we will move on to the Yggdrasil Corporation in uh, the um, hologram room because they're testing out some new stuff, and that would be actually where we get our uh, connection to the uh, Wizard and Guy movie. In the end of that movie, you see Sid, the Loxy dealer, Professor Ryoma Sengoku, and this strange woman standing in the Helheim Forest, and they give Takatora a new belt. And in this, we find out what that belt is. It is the Genesis Driver. And he has, instead of just a melon Loxseed, he has melon energy Loxseed. And now he is no longer just Sengetsu. 
energy. <laughs> and then it's like, he fills it up with, soda. I was like, what is it, like, orange, orange crush soda? Like, I was like, yeah. it trips me out, but it's fun, it's cool. Yeah, soda. Um, he's now known as Zangetsu Shin. And, of course, on, you know, the, I guess, obligatory, ominous note, Takatora tells the professor that the beat riders no longer serve any purpose. Dun dun dun. <laughs> yeah, I like I like how the 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 line that I quoted from him was it's time those naughty kids faced reality. So you're like, uh oh. <laughs> yeah. It's like because he's he's basically you know at the, to this point he's been like one of the strongest big bads we've seen. So it's like if he's saying. They're expecting to me. I was like, "Oh, what's he gonna do? Go wipe them all out?" Like, you know, I was like, "This must be serious, serious business here," you know. So, not only that, but he was already shown to be really strong, and now he's stronger, apparently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like he was already the big bad, who was the strongest guy on the block, and now he's got a power up. So you're like, "Oh crap!" <laughs> Holy shit! As far as this entire episode, it, it was kind of interesting start to an arc because they definitely had to do some cleanup for the last arc, but at the same time, they did start some new stuff. We do have, like you, like we said, the new driver that Takatora gets. And not only that, but as you stated, Derek, the uh, small but obviously developing rift between Michi and uh, Koda. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's 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 subtle but not subtle, you know, because it's they they disagree on what to do the entire episode, and and Koda repeatedly ignores Michi's instructions. You know, like Michi's basically like, don't transform, don't transform, don't transform. And in every instance, when the Invest attack, I mean, Koda literally pushes them away and is like, what the fuck am I supposed to do? Let these Invest eat these fucking people? Like, fuck you, no. Like, I gotta transform. I gotta be orange. <laughs> I gotta deliver my orange slice of justice to these invests and everything. Like I gotta go out and fight the good fight. And and by the end of it, you know, there's that that pan away where you you see them, you know, basically, you know, worlds away from one another in their their philosophies, you know, and they're standing on opposite sides of the well, opposite ends of the street, you know, and it, it's it's it you know it's it it's illustrated rather well. I mean I mean you 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 see visually what is going to come or or what is coming in in this arc you know that that it, part of adulthood i guess is that people that you were friends with in childhood you might not see eye to eye with as you as you grow up so there's there's that aspect to the the arc as well yeah 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 so yeah so i mean i think it was a definitely a good transition and a good start for a new arc overall i might be i might be being a little rough on it but i i would give this uh Three and a half pineapples. I, I think we're secret brothers. I, I find myself hard-pressed to give episodes lower than three pineapples because most of them are really, really good. But it wasn't, it wasn't like, super, super standout for me. I mean, to me, the best parts that got the big points are, like, the scenes between Mai and, and Kaito and everything like that. And th those were the big moments for me, like, the, the character moments and everything. And it's like you have to set up Dale and you have to set up the you know chip with the the bravo in the the bakery and all that kind of stuff so i mean and and you know those are, are good and well done but they're not moments where i'm like awesome like fucking hey you know like i don't get like super you know rock hard excited or whatever when that stuff goes <laughs> on it's just it's just part of the it's part of the ongoing story and everything so it's like you know i i thought you know the fight between dale and baron was kind of like just to move the plot along. It wasn't like it was an awesome fight. It was just to show how 
how desperate and and sort of how in the depths of, of mediocrity, you know, Dale has fallen, you know, so, so it's not like it was like an awesome fight. It was just to display like, you know, how, how, how low he's fallen. So I, I would, again, you know, secret brothers, I'd, I'd give it 3.5 pineapples for this one. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a decent start to a new arc, but yeah, nothing mind blowing, but there's stuff late here. You got to watch this episode if you, you know, want to keep abreast of what's going on in the entire series. So yeah. Yeah. Look on. Soda. Meron Energy Arms. With that in mind, we shall move on to the next episode. Episode 13, really happy title, I'll tell you that much. This one is Gaim and Balon, Tag of Friendship. <laughs> yeah. It definitely, if, even if he may not be as big a fan of Coda, he does like Coda and Derek, two of your favorite guys team up. What's, what do what you not like? Yeah, um, it's, it's basically, you know, spoilers in the title, you know, basically. And, and, and as our, our good buddy Mike likes to say, we, we, we got some rival fusion on the way, which would be pretty awesome, so. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. We come back to the Zawami city, and we find out that apparently somehow the Enves are making people sick. They're straight, like spreading this weird bacteria around, and they're having to go to the hospital and stuff, so you know, that's not good. But, but enough of that. Who cares about the citizens of Zawami? This is, this is about common Riders. So we find uh, Hase, who, again... Not at the highest point in his life, <laughs> looking for Sid at the uh, fruit bar. Yeah, and I mean, he, this, yeah. this is the point where I started to kind of feel sorry for him, you know, because it's it's almost like it's almost like he was like a smack addict, you know, like going to look for his dealer. You know, it's like he's yeah. a lock dealer, but the 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 analogy is is pretty sound. I mean, he he just looks so desperate and like that that he'd been without that power and and brought to a you know the he basically he. he at this point, it's almost like he's hit rock bottom. You know, he's like, where's the fucking lock deal? Yeah. Give me my smack. Yeah. It, yeah it's, not like he, it's not like he wants to turn into, like, the common writer, Kurokagi. He has to. He has to. He's got an addiction. He's got to feed it. I thought that the the scenes with Yggdrasil, like, one of the things that I noted down was, you, you mentioned how they have, like, the hologram room and everything, and there's this kind of meeting of the, the Yggdrasil cabal i guess if you will you know and in lieu of actually physically being there you see dj sahara and like all i could think of was like it was like he was like darth sidious or something with his hologram you know it's like <laughs> he's like something going like and you find them you know like it's like that that's all i could think of was darth sidious hologram for uh dj sahara doing his talk with takatora and sid and all those guys so yeah, yeah. Oh, I should mention, uh, Hase, actually, you were talking about the uh, drug uh, addiction uh, yeah. uh, comparison. There, there's actually even a point where he starts hallucinating Invest and Zangetsu and Bravo. So, yeah, Hase's having a bad yeah. time. Yeah, because he's, he, yeah, he's definitely seeing visions and, and, yeah, I mean, it's very much like he's he's an addict who, you know, can't afford his, his smack habit anymore, basically. Yeah, yeah. However, we do hit up on a kind of a 
it seems to be a re- recurring thing with uh, Bravo as Takatora goes to Charmant to hire Bravo again as their enforcer by, you know, telling him, hey, you know that white armor that you love so much? That's what I wear, buddy. <laughs> I thought, and obviously, well, he doesn't, he doesn't know at that point, though, right? Because doesn't, doesn't Michi later on promise to tell him who actually wears the armor? Like, I don't think he knows at that point. I thought he changed in front of him, though. Mm, I don't think so. I mean, like, because he, he, later on, Michi, like, basically hires Bravo again, and he's like, well, will you tell me who that that marvelous boy in the, the white rider armor is? And he's like, if you do your job, I will. And he's like, oh, goody. Like, I agree to those terms. Oh, well, I, so, well, I think the thing is, is, like, Takator doesn't tell him who he is. He doesn't reveal he's, like, with, right, like, right. you know, He just, he just he goes and hires him, so it's kind of like, oh, if only he knew that that was the the guy he had a mad crush on, you know, but he doesn't know. Like, it's funny, he actually gets, yeah. it's almost like he gets offended, because at first he comes out and he tells him, like, what a what a great uh, pastry he's made and everything, and so he's all complimented, and, you know, he's like, oh, that's wonderful that you love my pastry. Like, of course I'm very pleased, you know, and everything. And he's like, but I'm not really here for pastries, I'm here for the mercenary. And then all of a sudden he gets, like, that serious look on his face, like, God damn it, I want to make pastries, not shoot people, but okay. You know, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As this goes on, we see Team Gaim, Kota, Mai, and Michi go to the hospital because they want they want to see if they're sick. You know, this this strain of bacteria has been going all over the city, and they want to make sure they're okay. However, when they get to the hospital, they find out that a lot of people in the Zawami city are blaming the uh, Beat Rider teams for this because they brought the invest to Zawami. So obviously, it's their fault for making them sick. It had a very Civil War, Marvel Civil War vibe to me where, you know, it's like, oh, the, the beat writers are like the poor new warriors that get get blamed for basically this this inciting incident that basically changes the entire outlook of the city. And, you know, this inciting incident is that all these these people are getting infected. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of creepy at this point. I mean, because before, you know, in the childhood arc, it was all fun and games, basically, you know, Pokemon and stuff. But imagine, you know, Pikachu basically gives you AIDS. You know, like that's that's I mean, I know I'm being extreme, but that's that's the basic kind of tenant of it, except for in this case, like there's all these weird plant spores and and people are convulsing and and getting immediately sick if they get cut by Inves or touched by Inves and and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, on a on a lesser level, I, I wouldn't say it's as extreme as this movie, but it did remind me a bit of the Korean movie called The Host. And, like, that's another movie about basically, like, you know, CDC-type, you know, disease movie in the midst of, like, a monster movie, you know, where all these people are getting horribly infected and, and it's supposed to be this stupid fucking metaphor and stuff. And, you know, anyway, I'm not going to get into that movie too much, but, but I mean, the atmosphere yeah. of that, the, the spookiness and scariness of being infected with the disease, whether it's like a, a TV show like The Strain or, you know, the Korean movie like The Host, I mean, that's that's kind of what they're going for with this. Like, there's all these people. In, and, and, of course, immediately when Mai and Kota and Michi are recognized as beat writers from Gaim. I mean, it's almost like the people are, you know, they want blood, you know, they're almost going to rip them to shreds, except for the doctor comes yeah. in 
and and kind of says, well, look, look, look at what you've done, you know, like kind of wanting to, I guess maybe it's a, a Japanese thing where he wants to shame them instead of see the crowd rip them apart. But that that's when they first kind of see like, oh, crap, like all these people are clearly, you know, diseased now. And, and, and it's it's definitely a result of the plant life that that's coming through the cracks in Helheim. Yeah, and like all the beat writers are suffering. It's not just Team Gaim. Like they, the citizens are turned against Baron and everybody else. You know, and then and then that's kind of why Zangetsu, you know, or or that's why Takatora hired Durian essentially, like Common Rider Bravo. It's like he wants him to clean up the city of beat riders. It's not as as kind of I guess it's not as serious as we were thinking. Like I, I think last episode I was thinking, oh crap, he's got the new you know, the new driver, and, you know, he's got the Genesis driver, and he's much more powerful than he was before. Like, I thought he was just going to basically eradicate all these kids, but it seems more like, oh, he's going to send Bravo out to give them all good spankings. Like, that, that that's what it seems yeah. like now, you know, like that that he, he's going to send Bravo after all these different beat writers and stuff, which is which is what yeah, ends up happening. Kind of, yeah, kind of more like mind game stuff. I mean, that's what happens. Bravo goes to Baron State, he proclaims himself as Awami's hero, you know, he's he's the guy who's going to clean up this one-horse town. And he does a good job, because one of his weapons hits a stage sign, and it breaks, uh, I had to look this up, because I didn't keep track of all the uh, tertiary characters, uh, one of Baron team members named Peko, his arm is broken in this, and that causes Baron to definitely uh, beat feet and get out of, you know, get out of the area. So I, I think that's interesting, because you, you might think that given baron's nature you know he he would want to continue the fight or people might mistake that that he would not care about his teammate and just keep fighting but he definitely makes a very decisive decision like oh you know paco's hurt we got to get him to the hospital he's like we'll finish this later you're a fuck you're an asshole because <laughs> you hurt my friend, but <laughs> we'll fight later, you know, like that kind of thing. And I, I, I think that's that's the part. Those are the portions where you see, like, he he might have an attitude and he might think a certain way, and and you you know, depending on who you are, you might not agree with his philosophy. But I mean, just like Kota, Kota wanted to save the kid in the little tree, and Kaito wanted to save the little kid in the tree. The only difference is how they told him to go about. You know, he's like, well, save yourself, kid. Jump down. You know, like, like, and, and, and it's kind of the same thing in this case. He's like, oh, well, I'm going to kick your ass, and I will kick your ass, but for right now, i got to help my friend, and, and I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, he definitely, yeah, he, he's, he's not all hardcore. He, he's, got, he's got some moments, definitely. Meanwhile, in an industrial area, an Invis comes, one of the bigger ones, not one of the uh, kind of, uh, I guess you would say, generic ones. And he starts attacking, attacking some factory workers and infecting them. He's, he's apparently one of the ones that has the weird virus and stuff. Kodo arrives because, you know, that's what Kodo does. But um, he knows that Yggdrasil is still watching them. And he's not sure if he should, you know, transform into Gaim. But that point is made moot because here comes Bravo. And Bravo being Bravo, being very uh, arrogant, it allows the invest to uh, get away. I know Kodo's kind of pissed off about that because to him I think that's another aspect of the transition between childhood and adulthood you know childhood you could see things as very black and white good versus evil and all that kind of stuff and in this case he's kind of like you said you were good basically that you're gonna stop us because you think we're evil 
but not only are we not evil, you're letting the thing that's actually evil, and there are more layers to this than we realize, because maybe that thing is not actually as evil as Coda thinks it is right now, but basically, in his mind, you're, you're actually letting the evil thing get away. And, and yeah. you know, Brav was like, well, that's not what I was paid for. I wasn't paid to hunt down Invest. I was paid to hunt down the beat writers, and that's what I'm going to do. You know, and it's like, well, you're an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> However, Bravo doesn't get to brag too long, as Kaito appears, and he's wanting to avenge his buddy. And he's like, you know what? I may not be, like, you know, Team Gaim's biggest fan, but kind of like when Doctor Doom teams up with the Fantastic Four, they have a common enemy. They, they both want to take Bravo down. <laughs> this does indeed happen, because they turn into their basic forms, Orange and uh, Banana, and they're having a little bit of trouble. They can't seem to really get the job done. So what does Kaito do? He takes off his lock seat and hands it to Kota. And now we have Kota, Gaim Banana Arms, which is kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty awesome. Yeah, very cool. And then uh, Kaito, he's, he's, he's not defenseless. He uh, pulls out his mango lock seat and, you know, fight of Hama. <laughs> this apparently does the trick. It sets uh, Bravo off his game. He's not used to fighting Gaim in banana mode, and he hasn't really had a lot of interaction with mango arms, which seems to be much more powerful physically than banana spear. So they actually managed to take care of Bravo to the point where he's like, you know, you know, I'll get you gadget and, you know, runs away. Yeah. He, he seems to do that a lot where it's like he, he's basically like the general grievous of, of the show or something where he's got to like, you know, cough up along and then run away or something like that, you know, eventually. Yeah, exactly. But they're going to keep, keep the um, team up going for a little, at least a little longer because they're going to try to figure out about these invests that are causing uh, people to get sick. They find out some more of the Helheim plants that are, you know, inching their way into our, uh, well, I don't know about ours, but uh, Zawani City's reality. And the uh, dragon invest appears again, and he uh, eats one of the fruits. And this, of course, as we've seen before, turns him in from, like, a guy in a rubber suit to a giant CGI monster. <laughs> uh, however... Who should show up? But as I said, Takator, the guy who just shows up for reasons, uh, here comes in and gets to Shin. <laughs> Again, like Takator does, he tells the two armored riders, he's like, you know, don't think that I'm doing this for you. I'm going to take care of you guys later. But he uses his new weapon, the Sonic Arrow, which I'm not going to lie, I like Kamen Rider Gaim. I think it's a really fun show, but it's a fucking Nerf Arrow. It's like one of those ones where you pull back and it shoots a foam. <laughs> I don't know. I was thinking, I was thinking Mike. Would, I was thinking Mike would like it because I was like, "Oh, cool! Now they've got they've got a bow and arrow." So I, if I was doing like a video on this or something, I would definitely be like Takatora with arrows. Dun, 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 dun. You know, like because I was like, "Oh, that's pretty cool." supposed to be like a lot more powerful you know what it reminds me of it's like in a video game like where you just hit the b button and it's like a regular size blast but then if you hold down on the b button and let it charge up and then it fires off this like huge blast like that's what it's like it's like pull back on the arrow and the longer you hold back the arrow the bigger the the blast is going to be and that's what he uses to take out this dragon invest thing that you were talking about yeah yeah i mean even though i think it looks a little silly the sonic arrow is very powerful and uh, you even see later on, this is not a big spoiler because it doesn't reveal anything. It can even be used as a handheld weapon like a sword, so that's kind of cool. Zangetsu does destroy the dragon. And, you know, Koda and Kaito, you know, they've been around long enough that they're like, 
yeah, uh, he's going to deal with this later, like, you know, now. So they transform, and they're getting ready to fight the Zangetsu Shin. However, who should show up but our good old buddy, Hase. And again, he is just, wow. He is out of it. He is he has gone from being a little depressed to being desperate to being damn near, like, you know, hysterical. So what does he do? He does one of the big no-nos of this universe and as a human, without any kind of common rider uh, armor around him, he grabs one of the Loxie fruits and eats it, and transforms into an Inves. Dun dun dun! It's yeah, that's it's, the end of the episode. <laughs> yeah, that's the end of the episode. It's kind of creepy. Like, I mean, it's it's uh, yeah. I mean, I guess this is the descent into adulthood where you you you're you're finding out things that there are layers to things that you never appreciated before, you know, and as, as we get further into it, there'll, there'll be even more to the layers than, than what we're seeing here. But this is, this is our first experience with a human being becoming an invest and, and, and how it's viewed by all the other characters. So this is, this is a big significant turn, I think in, in terms of the series. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a, a dark ending. And um, as you were saying about adulthood, not to sound even darker, sometimes you find that some of the people you used to know are willing to do some incredibly stupid or reckless things to get what they want. And Hase just wants his power back, but he he makes a fool's decision because you don't want to be an invest. Who would want to be a monster? But you know, there you go. Yeah. Well, I mean, I you know I, right. I enjoyed this episode a lot. Like I I'm just gonna put myself out there and say I'm giving this 4.5 pineapples like I like all the the atmosphere with the the way it's you know basically the the simplest way to put it is is shit is super serious and just got real because of the the infections that are going on and everything and I love the fact that Baron and Gaim get to do a rival fusion you know even if the end result is just you know durian you know I don't know doing his wacky racer, you know, runaway at the end or whatever, but still, I, I enjoyed that they, they have a rival fusion and that, that Baron and, and Gaim can team up against not only Durian, but that they were about to throw down with Zengetsu as well, you know, and so I, I, I enjoyed yeah. that a lot. Well, I think that's what the last episode was missing. It, it was basically Koda and Kaito actually, you know, doing some fighting, because you know, I just want to see your good guys, you know, mix it up a little bit, you know, either against each other or, you know, uniting against a common enemy. So, yeah, this definitely, I think this, uh, I'm a little lower than you. Maybe it's just, I don't know, a matter of just simple differences. But I give it, I give it a four. I definitely give it a four. It's uh, above average, definitely above average. And it, it definitely gets you more pumped. It gives you that that, that excitement that you, you like out of this series. Henshin. Banana! Together from the disparate reaches of geekdom, here in this restaurant booth are the most powerful forces of geek ever assembled. Ryan, the toy geek. Scott, the award-winning radio host. 
Scott's minion. And Ron, just Ron. Dedicated to truth, justice, and geek for all mankind. It's Dinner for Geeks. Dinner for Geeks proudly crusades at twotruefreaks.com. All right. Well, that was episode 13, which was which is good. You know, it definitely brought the action back up to our uh, expected levels. So we're going to move on to episode 14 of the arc. This is called, ooh, The Secret of Helheim's Fruits. Duh. <laughs> As we last saw, our buddy uh, Hase, he uh, turned into an Indus. So, that's not good. <laughs> yeah, he kind of looked like a weird, like, lion invest thingy or something. Yeah, according according to the Common uh, Rider wiki, he's uh, a Hekija invest, which I guess probably means lion. A lot of the uh, second stage invest, the ones who don't look like the, uh, the, the Putty Patrol guys, they all have their own names. They usually omit saying them because they're they're not very important characters. So, but if you guys ever want us to like start using their names, just just drop us an email and I'll I'll start throwing them in there. I'm just doing it for uh, Hase just because he he is a more important character. So it's kind of nice to know like what he is. Daim decides to go after him because Koda is a good guy. He, he he may not be Hase's best friend, but he just saw a human turn into an invest. He wants to try to help him. Kaito, however, <laughs> is more. Uh, more into trying to beat up on Zangetsu. He wants to take him on by himself. I think he's he's providing Kota the opportunity to to go after Dale, you know, like to, to chase after him. So he's kind of like, I've, I've got this. I'll, I'll, I'll fight with Zangetsu while you go after the guy who just transformed into an invest. Yeah. <laughs> Kota is, again, not wanting to kill a human. So he's he's trying not to use lethal force against them. I say Dale. I, I keep I stopped calling him Dale because I felt bad for him, but he's still Dale. He uh, manages to kind of get a little bit under control and uh, turns to human form. But just because he's now in human form, the fruit is still messing with him, and it's not long before he attacks Koda again, getting away. Zangetsushin uh, shows off the power of Melon Energy and put a little bit of smack down on it. <laughs> Solda. Solda puts a smack down but on Kaito <laughs> puts a smack down on Koda, uh, Kaido and with the uh, help of the uh, Kurokage troopers hauls him off to Yggdrasil Koda returns to the to the base and Mai is like obviously concerned and Koda in a, kind of a rare thing but unlike Michi where it seems like he's kind of being a sneaky little bastard Koda doesn't tell Mai what's going on because he just doesn't want Mai to worry. You know, he's like, this is a horrible thing. I don't want to expose Mai to this. You know, he, well, that's what the feeling I get anyway. I, I think the whole team, too, is, is kind of like, what can we do to help? Like, can we go out and look? And, and he's kind of like, don't don't, do not do anything if you see him. He's dangerous. You know, like, that's, I'll, I'll take care of it. You know, like, don't don't get involved, you know. And that's, I guess that's his fear is that something will happen to one of his dance mates. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I guess in terms of adulthood, I guess you, you find out that sometimes things you fear actually come to fruition, you know? Takatora, next scene, returns back to the Kirishima household, and Michi decides he's going to hide inside uh, Takatora's car so he can get into Yggdrasil and get a little bit of uh, the skinny of what's going on. Meanwhile, Dale, still whacked out of his mind, 
goes to the fruit bar, and he's trying to eat the fruits there. But he's just not getting the same thing. You know, it's, it's like that, that uh, bat invest we saw where the regular fruit just doesn't do it like Hellheim fruit. However, a couple of the beat writers there from Gaim, I will, I will use their name, Rika and Rat, <laughs> Poor are rat. there. Poor Rat. <laughs> yeah, rat, rat gets the smackdown on him by uh, Dale. And uh, Dale takes off. Uh, they take Rat to the hospital because, yeah, he, he's, he's just a dude. <laughs> Rat, <laughs> Rat gets trapped. <laughs> However, while this is going on, Mitchie has successfully got into Yggdrasil. I actually call this segment Mission Impossible Michi. It's like, dun, 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 Yeah, he's, he's, he's telling his inner Tom Cruise. What's Tom Cruise's character's name in that? Ethan Hunt. It's, it's Michi Hunt. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, it was totally like, I was like, dude, I'm all, Michi is so like, I thought he was going to go in the trunk, but like he, he went in the back seat. So like, I was like, same, same difference. Like I totally called it. Like I, I knew he was going to do all kinds of cloak and dagger shit. Like you were talking about before. This is also where Michi finds out something though. Sid, who he, he had ideas that, you know, he had connections to Yggdrasil is completely correct that Sid definitely is not only like working for Yggdrasil, but he's apparently kind of high up in the in the uh, hierarchy. He's certainly one of the members of the inner cabal. Yeah, exactly. He's not just a lock dealer. That's just kind of a, I guess, pretty much a part he was playing so they could get the uh, drivers and the uh, lockies out to the kids. And him and Takatora are talking about the uh, Genesis driver and how it might be able to be mass-produced, kind of like the uh, Kurokage driver. Then Michi comes in, and after they leave, it tries to look for some files. And then he sees a video of Ryoma Sengoku and telling us, like, you know, pretty much what we know now <laughs> is anybody who eats a Helheim fruit pretty much gets his DNA rewritten and gets turned into an invest. And then, even worse, Michi discovers that Yuya, remember him? Remember how I said he was dead? Yeah, he did because he ate uh, a fruit. That's why he went missing. And that first guy that Koda beat in the first episode, that was Yuya. Yeah. So, yeah. Yuya, we barely knew ya. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm horrible. <laughs> while this is all going on, while Michi Hunt is, is doing some hardcore intel, we see Koda is, again, found Dale, and he's, he's trying his damnedest to, you know, reason with basically a monster. And, and you know, you feel bad for Dale. He, he didn't want to become this, but he can't control it. It's interesting because basically Takatora's immediate reaction last episode was, we need to kill it. Like, you know, it's a monster. It's not your friend anymore. And and that's why Kota sort of broke off from him and Baron to try and handle it his own way. But now it's it's at the point where Dale, as an invest, basically put one of his good friends from Team Gaim, Rat, in the hospital. So now he's kind of in this rock-and-a-hard-place position. I mean, you know, he basically needs to go there and correct his mistake because he, he's the one. I mean, you know, in, in some sense, you know, he feels responsible because he, he was trying to talk down Dale as an invest, but that resulted in Rat getting put in the hospital, too, and he doesn't know if if Rat's going to make it or not, you know? So he's basically now 
you know, he, he's in this kind of adulthood place where a lot of people get all prissy and pissy and mad, you know, because it's like, oh, well, you know, the, the, it's all about either, you know, kill or be killed type thing. And, you know, people react very adversely to it. And and Cope is trying to hold on to his childhood. He's trying to hold on to the idea that he can still save Hase. But, I mean, he's he's too far gone. Yeah, yeah, he, he's he, he's more machine than man now, or more man than man. Twisted um, and lion. But it's okay because uh, <laughs> the the dancer who was once Hase <laughs> no longer your friend. Fortunately or unfortunately, depends on how you look at it. Koda doesn't have to make a decision because Zangetsu Shin appears, and he brought backup. He's got three riders with him. These guys are uh, dubbed the New Generation Riders. I, I won't be giving anything away by telling you their names. They are Common Rider Marika, which is uh, a female rider, apparently. Common Rider Duke, which uh, looks like he's a uh, blue and yellow, maybe a lemony-type power. And Common Rider Sigurd, who obviously has cherry power because he's got big old cherries around him. <laughs> Sigurd, however, is the one who acts first and drives Koto away from Dale. And then in cold blood kills Dale. And even to top it off, he reveals what an asshole he is by dehensioning, I guess you would say. And who is it? Nothing at no other than Sid, the lock dealer. But of course, Coda is completely incest. He's he's so angry. And he's confronting Sid for killing a human being. But this is not Coda's day. Just like Kaido before him, the Kurokage troopers show up, and with all these other riders, he's captured and taken away. Like I said, I, I haven't felt the need to give any episode lower than three pineapples, but this is this is a three pineapple episode for me. I mean, it's not they, they they make some progress in the story. I think I was hoping that Kota would have had the opportunity to take out Dale, like that 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 would be something he'd be forced into. But maybe it's too it's too early for this arc, and he still hasn't found out. He's still in the dark about what Michi knows about Yuya, so you, you, you might take away from that reveal if you had him go down that road too early. And, you know, I, I mean, as, as much of an asshole as Sid is, I mean, he does have some points that he does bring up, the, the things we were talking about before, that, you know, as a result of Kota letting the invest get away, it basically put his friend in the hospital. You know, and it's like, well, yeah. you know, it, you, you make decisions, but those decisions have consequences. So, and and nobody's saying the decision's right or wrong or whatever. Like, I mean, you, you can you can argue one way or the other that one way is right and the other way is right, but ultimately there are going to be consequences to the actions, and those consequences are going to affect people in a negative manner. You know, it's going to have a negative impact, and you you may be doing it for good reason. But that still doesn't mean that people aren't adversely impacted by your decisions, and that's something you probably come to learn in adulthood as well. Yeah, yeah. It definitely gives Kodo a way out, so he still seems like a hero. But at the same time, you kind of wonder, like, you know, like, what would have happened if he had to kill someone who he at least considered something of an ally, at least, you know, maybe not a friend, but at least yeah, someone I, who, I, you know... I, I think it's what, what I kind of term movie justice. It's like, you know... People know that the character needs to die, even deserves to die to a degree, but they're not willing to have the protagonist carry out the execution. So conveniently, some other character like Sid comes along and carries out the execution for them. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? That, that way you don't you don't sully the hands of the protagonist. You know, it's like whoops. It's like yeah. it's like Batman didn't kill Rachel Ghoul. It was the evil Raphael that killed Rachel Ghoul. You know what I mean? It's like I don't have to. I'm not gonna kill you. I don't have to save you. You know this kind of double talk bullshit. Yeah, yeah. You know this this kind of Superman like I will I will send you back to the dawn of time. I won't kill you, but the Big Bang will blow you to smithereens, you know, it's like, oh, well, you know, I guess the, I, whatever makes you sleep well at night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> like, whatever gets you through the day, but, boss. I'm going to go a little higher than you just a bit. I'm going to go, I'm going to go three, three and a half pineapples, just because I am a huge fanboy for techie bullshit, and seeing the new generation writers was kind of cool. By the, by the way, the reason they're calling New Generation is because they all have the uh, Genesis drivers, not just the new Zangetsu form. So, yeah, I'm sorry. You know, I mean, you got to be a fanboy sometimes. So I, I give it a little bit higher. But, yeah, yeah, it, it was definitely a downer. And I, I, I totally understand that, you know, this is getting more serious and there has to be downbeats and stuff like that. But you did feel kind of bad for Dale. And I agree, it would have been nice for Coda to face some kind of stakes, you know, make some kind of decision instead of just like, you know, I am always hero. I never do bad, you know, so I, I, I you know, it is what it is. But it, yeah, it definitely wasn't a bad episode, just, you know. No, no, not at all. Didn't have that, that, yeah, just, just didn't totally push our buttons, I guess you should say. Energy. Look on. But moving on, forever, forever moving on. We're now on episode 15, and this one is kind of a boring title, but <laughs> this is The Men Who Developed the Belts, which we already know who that is, but as the title you're probably going to get a little bit more information about our good friend, Dr. Sengoku. As we last said in the last episode, both Kota and Kaito have been captured by Yggdrasil, and they're being contained by the Krokage troopers, and sent to see who else, but the, you know, the guy the, the title of this episode is named after, Ryoma Sengoku. Pretty much, we get a lot of talking head action as we get a little bit of uh, exposition, and, you know... It's okay. I mean, Sengoku is a very charismatic actor. Whoever plays him, I'm not I'm not familiar with him. But he, he's, he's, a, he's an odd bird, so it's not too bad watching him talk. He, he's very animated and whatnot. We get more of a introduction to Minato, the the sort of bodyguard chick who is common writer Minaka, like that, that, you know, yeah, she's in her, indeed. she's in her kind of bodyguard guys. Like I, I, if, if, if Sengoku Ryoma is like Lex Luthor, then this chick is kind of like mercy, you know, like she's, she's his, his bodyguard, yeah. this hottie bodyguard that like, you know, does kickboxing moves that would make James Bond squirt his load, you know, basically like, I mean, she's very, you know, <laughs> You know, like Bond girl Very type. capable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or like, you know, I, I was thinking of uh, Lady Shiva from like the the Batman Birds of Prey type comics. You know, she's she's this badass kind of you know martial art type bodyguard. You know, she can yeah. crush you if she wants to. I mean, it, it's funny because at, at a few points they they are listening to Ryoma's exposition, and but but you know, in the in the background, it's like Kaito and Kota. You know, they're they're giving each other these non 
verbal signals about breaking out and trying to get their drivers back. And when they do their first break, it's like she just slaps them down so fucking fast, like that you wouldn't even see it. You know, it's like, and it's like she's about to like break Coda's arm, and Rio almost like, no, 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 like we're we're just here to talk. Like <laughs> you can be you can be a little easier with them than that. You know, it's it's okay. And she's like, all right, you know. But it's like you you get the idea. She yeah, could yeah. snap them like twigs if she really wanted to. Yeah, yeah. She she doesn't she doesn't need the Genesis driver. I mean, sure it helps and makes her more powerful, but. She, she definitely has more skill in her human guise than Kaido and Koda. He he calms her down, and they're they're later shown to be in two pretty much cells. Kaido and Koda separated from each other, and now we get some really interesting things going on as DJ Sagara of all people comes to talk to Koda. Yeah, Sagara is definitely seeming to be playing both sides of the fence because he has Koda lemon lemon energy lock seed, and also an additional. Like piece to the to the driver he has. It doesn't it doesn't he doesn't give him a Genesis driver. It allows his standard warring driver, Sengoku driver, to perform like a Genesis driver. Calling back to my original comment that DJ Sahara was like Darth Sidious in the hologram room. I guess this is his his Chancellor Palpatine moment where he can be like the you know, oh Master Anakin. Like I said great things for you, you know, and it's like DJ Sahara's there basically going, I like you, Kota. I sense great things for you. Here's a lock seed. Yeah, but uh, DJ Cigar leaves, and he also leaves a security card outside the uh, cell. Michi, who has been in Yggdrasil the whole time, remember? He was doing his, uh, you know, Michi uh, mission, hunt, mission you know, thing. Michi. <laughs> he comes across Kota's cell, and he uses said card to get uh, Kota out. This is kind of smart by Cigar, because this way he can, you know, get Kota out, but, like, he also doesn't seem to be, like, you know, fully on Coda's side. You know, it's pretty cool little writing there. You know, I kind of like that. He also sort of leaves himself an out as to, you know, he, he's shifting the culpability because maybe they can't say, like, oh, well, Sahara left, let, let Coda out. And it's like, well, no, actually, it looks like Michi let Coda out, you know? So he's like, it wasn't wasn't me, you know? Like He's like, I was, I was somewhere else. I was like... I was like on the air going, yo, riders, <laughs> you know. One thing we should mention is that, that throughout all this kind of cloak and dagger, espionage, prison break type stuff, in in the background, like, Mai is trying to organize, like, a meeting between all the different gangs or dance teams and everything. And it doesn't really go as well as she wants, but I think the idea is she's trying to get the teams together to stop fighting and, and kind of look at the, the issue with all the invest causing disease and all that stuff. Basically, she, she wants to basically upgrade their public image because it's been dealt such a harsh blow. And, of course, none of the other teams really want to listen to her because... One, none of their leaders or writers are there. You know, you've got, as we mentioned before, you know, you've got Chip, and he's working to the bone for Common Rider Bravo as, like, some kind of weird indentured servant apprentice or whatever. So his team is like, well, our leader's not even here. And, of course, you know, Raid Wild, like, his, they don't know that their leader's been turned into an invest and killed. 
and you know he's gone, so there's nobody to make any decisions there. And then Baron and you know Gaim and you know they're they're all any any of their figureheads, their leaders are not there to agree to this anyway. So so it all kind of turns to shit, you know. It all kind of proves fruitless. Like Maya has good intentions, but nobody, uh, you know, they, they they. basically all sort of walk away from her at that point. Yeah, I, one thing I was going to mention, is if you, uh, you're talking about the yo uh, thing, yeah, DJ Sagara acts totally different when he's not on his show. He just acts like more or less a normal guy. So, yeah, I thought that was kind of cool, too. That it's, like, it's totally a persona he plays. He's not actually like, you know, uh, well, the crazy party guy. So that's kind of cool. But, yeah, uh, Koda, being the guy he is, even if him and Kaito don't always see eye to eye, he's got to res- rescue his rival. So, of course, they do so. They take off with uh, Takatora watching on the security cameras, and he's like, Michi? You know, obviously. They all get attacked by the uh, Kurokages. Michi goes on ahead and, like, you know, heads down into the tunnels. Kaito, being Kaito, transforms into Baron, and he starts fighting with the troops. And then Koda, I guess pulling a Koda hunt, <laughs> finds a way down to the lab, you know, the tree with the giant crack in it. Who should show up but Sid? And Sid is just... Tell them how teenagers are kind of stupid and reckless, and, you know, that that's why they get into the trouble they get into, you know. Koda then transforms, and Sid, of course, transforms as well, because we gotta have a fight. we got to have a fight. They go into the Helheim Forest through the crack, and Sigurd, in, you know, Sid's common Rider form, he actually is pretty tough. Were you surprised at how tough Sid was? I guess. I don't, yeah, I, I, I mean, I guess since they all have those... Genesis drivers, they're all going to be a force to be reckoned with. I mean, I, I sometimes I think it's funny that if, I mean, maybe they just don't know. It's like, it's not like they're Batman and they have prep time and they know everything about everybody, but uh, I always wonder, like, if you have a more powerful driver and somebody starts giving you grief, like, I was kind of like, why don't you upgrade right away? You know what I mean? Like, because I, I always wonder, like, well, if, if he's having, I, I mean, I aesthetically enjoy the look of Orange Arms, but if Orange Arms is a weaker suit compared to a suit with a Genesis driver, I would be like, dude, fucking turn into a pineapple. Like, hurry, you know, get on with it. Like, do do something to help yourself, you know, like like in the fight. Like, you might as well give yourself yeah. an advantage. But that that doesn't always happen in the fights and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's surprising because I, I think you, you probably have the impression based on how you were introduced to Sid that he's an underling or he's a dealer, you know, like there's, there's that negative connotation, you know, the same way in the drug analogy, you know, it's like, Oh, he just, he sold lock seeds, but you don't think he can actually use a lock seed. But in this case, it's, yeah, it's he's just like a thug. Yeah, yeah. It, it's kind of like it's kind of like a dealer who can you know snort coke with the best of them. Do you know what I mean? Where you're like, oh crap! Like not only does he deal, but he he snorts his own smack and he enjoys it. You know, like yeah. that that and it's kind of like that weird <laughs> that that weird moment where you're kind of like, oh wait, he's you know not only is he part of the cabal, but he's he's this you know writer as well, and and he's gonna be a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, yeah. However, Sid, even though Sigurd manages to uh, beat down on Gaim, Baron appears, and Kaito summons Shitty Bike, and <laughs> they both attack Sigurd, and even though it, you know, hurts, he, he's he's not done, and he gets ready to ready the sonic arrow, the nerf gun of doom, but uh, Marika shows up, and she's like, no, 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 no. However, while this is all going on, we find out that Michi is 
spotted by the Kurokage troopers, and they're on, like, hovering bikes. What did you think about the hover bikes? They were cool. At first, I thought Michi was going to get his ass kicked by the hover bikes, which I was kind of like, huh. Like, I, I thought maybe he was just going to, like, run away in terror. But we'll, we'll get into that in the next episode. But that was my first impression was, like, that they were these... I, I think this and and the the sequence with Baron and Kota on on the bikes, the Lockseed bikes, like you know, I, I guess I'm sort of jumping ahead a little bit because that's how how Gaim goes sometimes. But I mean, it reminded me of like speeder bike chases on Endor, you know, <laughs> like like the, the bikes in the alleys and then the bikes in the you know like like that kind of. Something that's very fast-paced, but in a sort of tight, confined area where shit could go wrong at any moment, whether it's like Endor or the the Death Star Trench or whatever. And I was kind of like, Michi was in the the Death Star Trench with all those bikes, and then Kota and and Kaito, you know, Baron and Gaim were on their bikes, and that was more like the Forest of Endor type situation or whatever. You know, you know, one thing we we didn't talk about that we sort of went over is in, in the middle of their escape and I'm curious like what your take on it is because I think it's going to be an important story point as we as we continue whether it's in this episode we talk about it or in future episodes but as they're escaping Kota actually sees part of the video footage with Yuya and and yeah, yeah, he he's kind of like, oh, wait, like, let's let's keep watching. Like, let's find out what happened. We need to find out what happened to Yuya. And Michi's like, no, no, they're they're all going to come get us and everything. And I think Michi's ultimate motivation is, you know, and, and it's weird because I, I know I know Justin doesn't care for the character. And I haven't seen that much of, you know, I obviously, like I said, I'm watching this as we go and everything. But I know, I know we joke about how Justin doesn't like Michi, but I mean, at this point I'm, I'm kind of not seeing anything. I mean, yes, he, he's playing a poker game and he's keeping his cards close to his vest, but I don't, I don't see anything wrong with that so far. And, and it seems like in this case, like he's trying to keep the truth from his friend to spare him. Do you know what I mean? He's trying to spare him the guilt of, of having murdered his, well, you know, he doesn't know he did, you know, I mean, I don't even know if it's considered murder at that point, but you know, like it's, it's like, you know, it'd be like finding out that, you know, one of your best friends dressed up like, you know, uh, a terrorist and you cut their head off or something in defense of, of, you know, you you know, your family. And then how does this this make you, whoa, how does this make you feel about your previous dose stance where he didn't kill Hase? Because I know he knew that that was he knew that, that was Dale, and I understand where you're coming from on that. But don't you think that at some point, if he finds out that he killed Yuya, that's going to be even worse? Because that was his friend; it wasn't just an ally. It was like someone he like considered a friend and kind of someone he looked up to. Yeah, well, I, I think I think that's going to be this big bombshell that gets dropped. I mean, that's why they keep having Michi like for dramatic purposes. That's why they keep having Michi sort of cover it up and everything. But that that's the thing though, like like look at how he reacted to his first beatdown against Zangetsu. I mean he he definitely Yeah had a lot of post traumatic stress from that. You know, and and I think I mean I don't know, like like it, it could be that it is presumptuous of Michi to keep that knowledge from him. But I, I don't I don't think in this case Michi is keeping the knowledge from him to use against him. I think Michi is just keeping that knowledge from him. It, it, it's kind of like Alfred like tearing up Rachel's letter in the Dark Knight 
Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, does does yeah. Bruce really need to know that she was going to leave him and and marry this other guy, and that that you know everything they had shared in their childhood and and in adulthood was kind of bullshit? Like now that she's dead, yeah, like, or, or really, it doesn't really matter. Like, and and you know, like that that's kind of what. And I mean, eventually that plays a part too in that in that storyline. But I, I think it, it to me, it just comes from a good place. Like. It, it, it's not he, they, well, they're just trying to prevent their friend from from being hurt you know from something that they didn't realize they did you know so well well I, I guess the best way is fine like I said I have seen this the whole uh, series so this is this is going to be as non-spoilery as I can make it because like I said it's not so much because I don't want to spoil it it's just because we have a show to do and I, I don't want nobody to watch it because they know what's going on listen to it Mitchie does take his own road at some point and whether it's good or bad because you'll see how he ends up, you know. That's the best, best non-spoiler way I can say it. But, however, the thing about Mitchie is, is especially in a lot of these early episodes, like, you, you see he has a genuine friendship with Coda. It, it's not that he's always duplicitous. He just has – he does have that side to his nature. But he genuinely does care for Coda, and as we've seen, he has more than, you know, friendship with Mai, like, more than friendship feelings. He wants to be with Mai. So, like, yeah, he's not always an asshole. Like, you know, he does some asshole things at some point, but he genuinely does care about Coda. He does see him as a friend, you know, especially at this stage in the game. If that changes for the better or for the worse, you'll just have to wait and see. But Mitchie's not just a, a dick. He, he has a personality. He's not just, you know, like, I'm the guy who will betray you, or maybe I won't betray you, or maybe I'll be an asshole. Or maybe I won't. He, he's, he's not so clear-cut. It's not It's not like you were talking about Emperor Palpatine and stuff like that. It's not where somebody comes up to Mitchie and is like, you know, it's not like Takatora comes up to him at some point and is like, you will be evil and you will join me. I, I can actually guarantee you that scene never happens. I'm not spoiling anything because that doesn't happen. It, it's nothing so simple. So, yeah, you, you just have to watch Mitchie. Yeah. I don't hate him as much as Justin, but there are definitely some points where I'm like, Michi, you dick. But no, this is not one of them. No, I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there, there, was, there was no, yeah. The the other thing that I thought is worth mentioning is now that we're talking about Minato, and I, I just wanted to say, like, to me, like, I, she, she kind of has an attitude about her, and maybe it's the, her haircut, too. But, like, I kept thinking of her as, like, a, a Japanese Parker Posey. Like that, she she just has that kind of attitude, like where she's like kind of swarmy and like she she definitely thinks she's better than everybody, you know. So it's like when she stops Sid from from chasing after them, you know, it's very much in the vein of the whole, you know, letting the Millennium Falcon get away from the Death Star thing. It's like oh, they let us get away, you know, or whatever. But but it's funny how how she oh, just yeah, kind of. Yeah. Like, All right, night, like let them go, you know. And it's kind of like what? And it's like that's what. You know, Ryoma said to do. Ryoma you, know, yeah. you know, so so it's it, I don't know. It, it kind of reminded me again of I, I guess I use the analogy of, of if Ryoma is Lex Luthor and and she's Mercy. Well, you know, also like the the <laughs> Brian Singer Superman Returns. You know, there is that whole Parker Posey Kevin Spacey thing going on, and 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 she did have shades of that to me, where she she had flashes where you're like, oh yeah, like I could kind of I, I could kind of see that that arc you know, that type, personality type, like, shining through a little bit, and, and I found that kind of interesting. And now, now of course, we can stop bitching about Takatora not realizing that his damn brother is Grape Arms. Yeah, 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 because that's how the episode ends, because Mitchie, like you said, Derek, he doesn't, 
you know, actually get his ass kicked. He actually turns into Ryugan right on the camera, and Takator is like, oh, <laughs> you know, oh, so. no, not my brother. So, and that's how the uh, episode ends with uh, Takator finally, finally, after 13, uh, 14 episodes, finding out that Michi is actually a common writer. I'm going to give this one, I'm going to give this one four, four pineapples, because the exposition wasn't bad. I liked a lot of the story, even though it wasn't uh, fast-paced in a lot of the sections. We did have a lot of talking. But this is called, the you know, the Yggdrasil arc, too, you know, and it did told you a lot about Yggdrasil. You get a lot of the inner workings of all the different members and all that stuff. So I, I was I was pleased with this. Yeah, I thought it was a good episode. I, I, I'm a little lower than you. I just wrote down 3.5 pineapples, but I, I agree it was definitely an above-average episode. I, I enjoyed a lot of the parts with Minato. I know I've talked her up a bit, but that was that was pretty cool. I, I did find the moment with Michi and, and Kota interesting that he chooses to spare his friend from, from the knowledge. Like, I think that's, that's an interesting moment between the two of them. I enjoyed the part where, you know, Baron swoops in to aid Kota in the Helheim forest and everything. I don't, I, I think the reason why I, I might be a little lower is cause, and, and we did briefly discuss this. I mean, you know, Sid as a villain, as, you know, Sidgard or whatever. He's a threat, but he doesn't he doesn't quite do it for me the way Zangetsu or <laughs> you know it's like it's like he's somewhere in between Durian and Zangetsu. Like he's 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 more of a threat than Durian has ended up being, but he's not quite as cool as like yeah, you know, as as Zangetsu or or maybe like even Mina, Minaka or or Duke, you know, like it's like he's just he, he he's kind of the Krillin of the new generation writers, and you're like, <laughs> man, like you, you're getting a hard time from Krillin. Come on, you know, like that's I, so that's yeah. probably the only reason why I'm a little lower, but I, I I don't think I have the same level of respect for for Cherry as I do for the other guys. Well, I think it's like you said, is way we introduced to him, like even though we know he's higher up, we still get introduced to him as kind of like a like you know a street dealer basically. So you you still have that in the back of your head, like. Dude, you're just like you're just a thug, you know. You might have weaseled your way to the top, but you're 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 a small you're a small player in a big game, asshole. You know, you just think you're big time, you know that kind of thing. Even in the terms of the cabal, I think he's he's lower rung than than anybody else. Out of, out, out of the four, he's number four. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty much four of four. Look on. Now we are going into episode 16. This is where shit gets real, yo. The new arms. Jimbo Lemon is born. Remember what we said in the last one when we were talking about the movie? Toys, people, toys. Toys! You gotta sell them toys. Uh, again, like Derek said, he was surprised, but this is true. Michi is shown to have escaped from the Yggdrasil complex as Ryugan, and Gaim and Baron manage to get out as well. And they get out of the Helheim forest, and everybody, you know, like, gets out pretty safely. I thought it was cool that, because at first I really did think that, I, I think it's because I've, I've heard Michi talked down so much that I have, like, 
my my instinct is to think the worst of him in these situations, and then when it doesn't happen, I'm surprised because my instinct is, oh, Michi's gonna let him, you know, Michi's gonna let Kota see that he killed Yuya, and then he he's gonna watch him deteriorate and break up and just like chuckle about it, and then try to, you know, I don't know play grab ass with my or something like that like i expect like the worst right and so in this case like when he's in the middle of that hallway i uh, part of me just expected him to go oh three three you know you drazel stooges on on speeder bikes like that's just too hard i'm gonna run away like that that was my <laughs> my my first impression was oh i bet you he's gonna leave his buddies and just you know go away because i've heard him talk down so much but instead like not only does he transform into ryugan it's like he jumps up on one of the bikes and does your prototypical like if, if guys with fast bikes are chasing you it's like what do you do you you knock one of them off the goddamn bike and, and use the bike yourself and that's exactly what he does so i was like oh that's that's cool like i i'm I'm still i'm still of that opinion where i'm like hey you know michi is defying my expectations based on (laughs) what i've heard so so maybe that just gives me it gives him more points with me because every time i think he's going to do something shitty he he ends up surprising me he's less uh super friends robin and more uh tam drake robin right now in your eyes (laughs) yeah yeah there you go that's a good one Code <laughs> uh, and Mitchie eventually reconnect, and they both go to visit Rat in the hospital. I don't know if you remember, but Rat was the uh, team guy member who got his ass kicked by uh, Dale. So they find out he's not going to die. He uh, does not have the uh, invest disease. And they also learned what you're talking about with Mai from the last episode that Mai was trying to get everybody to end the invest game. You know, like like let's try to you know. Basically, boost uh, boost our PR, you know. <laughs> let's let's not look like thugs, you know. And you know, they're they're they they actually agree, you know. Coda's actually on board with it, you know. Like, let's do this again. If you could impress Mai, I'm sure you would try to impress her yourself. So. <laughs> let's all end the fighting. Yeah. <laughs> this, this hot bitch said so. And Mai's like, "Did you just call me hot bitch? I mean, really cool woman who's really intelligent." And she's just like, "Nope, you fucked up." <laughs> <laughs> That's screwed up now. <laughs> Takatora, however, you know, since we since this is the Yggdrasil arc, you know, we got to kind of focus on these guys. He uh, gets in Sid's face over Michi becoming an armored rider. Because you got to remember, Sid knew this all along. He knew that, like, Michi had gotten the driver because he swindled, well, not swindled, but uh, fast-talked, slippery-tongued his way into uh, getting a driver, as well as Sid knowing about the watermelon lock seed that uh, Mitchy stole and a whole host of other things. So, yeah, you gotta you gotta think, you know, hmm, maybe Takatori doesn't trust him that much. However, Sid plays dumb, you know, and Ryoma, you know, he like comes and like reveals that like you know somebody's been stealing some equipment, and he's wondering you know how this happened, you know, and also how Dakota and Kaito escape. He's not so much worried about Sid, you know. You're, you're wondering if he knows what DJ Sagaro is doing. So, you know, we got we got, we got a little bit of in infighting now. Not so much directly, but this cabal of people doesn't seem to trust each other as much as we may uh, have been led to believe. 
going back to the escape scene just real quick i just want to go back to my analogy about the the like that it's like a speeder bike chase and everything and then my my favorite part is when they're making their final getaway and gaim chops down the the tree trunk and then it makes the other drones like crash into it i thought that was pretty badass like i enjoyed that a lot yeah 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 oh yeah it was, it was a really well done scene like Gaim, I don't know what a budget is for a common Rider show, but I would definitely say it's higher than like anything we get from Power Rangers. It seems it seems like they put some money into this, so uh, and I'm glad. I mean, yeah, the the, the fight scenes and stuff is is just really good, you know. Especially for a TV show, you know, if it was a movie, I'd be like, oh, this is kind of okay. But for a TV show, it's really well done. But what, while we have intrigue in Brazil, my and if there's anything I hate about this arc is all these damn fucking Gaim team member names that I gotta fucking look up and like remember. <laughs> I give no shits about these kids. I don't. I just don't. My, uh, my and Chucky. Who is it? What's her name? Chucky. Chucky. Awesome. My. You're probably, probably pronounced like Chucky or something like that. <laughs> my and the the doll that terrorizes little kids. They're walking through town. Talking about how, you know, like, as adulthood happens, you know, how everything has changed, how this used to be about Pokemon and stuff, and it, it's, like I said, shit's got real. They hear an alarm go off. You know why, Tony? Because Pokemon give you AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when Pokemon gave rat AIDS. <laughs> oh, my <you> gosh. <laughs> they... They go to find that a, a jewelry store is being robbed by an Invest, of all things. I was totally like, what the fuck is going on? Like, why is the Invest robbing jewelry and stuff? But I guess we find out yeah. that in the, you know, talking about actions having consequences, one of the consequences of the negative public reaction to all the beat writers, the dance members and everything, some of those dance members have completely given up on dancing. So you've got this team, the Red Hot team, where now they're just a bunch of thugs, and instead of using the invest in games to win stages, they're just sending the invest because they know people are deathly terrified of either getting a disease or being attacked by these monsters. So they send their invest into the bank to get them jewelry so that they can, they can be rich and, and just, you know, mooch off of other people basically. Yeah. Yeah. And the leader thug is uh Sonomura. And um, he also reveals that like, not only is he sending invest, but yeah, they, they figure out a way they, they call it jailbreaking and it, it's how they can make the invest appear in real life. So it's not just a Pokemon. It's actually a full size invest. And yeah, like uh, Derek said, they're they're basically using these powerful mystical creatures to to steal. <laughs> Pikachu, I choose you. Go get me a pearl necklace and a nice diamond. <laughs> Pikachu, go crawl up that day inside that uh, vending machine and get me a soda and all the change. <laughs> Pikachu, make me a sandwich and bring me a Snickers bar. And don't pay for it either. <laughs> yeah, it's just so weird seeing like an invest steal stuff. Oh, but um, uh, he's also he's he's quite happy living this life because they've got a lot of you know very uh you know expensive material goods. So he sends out his invest to pretty much take care of the girls. But Kaito shows up. Kaito, <laughs> yeah, Kaito. 
and he comes to uh, rescue them. It, oh, it's yeah. a funny scene because the girls discover Red Hot, Team Red Hot, and they're like, what are you doing, you know, and everything. And they're, I, I, Mike takes it really hard because I don't think this is anything that ever occurred to her before. That, that like, Because I, I think her thought process was all of us beat writers are good people who just want to dance, and it's the public that is reacting to us based on misinformation. And if only we correct their perception, everything's going to be okay. But in this case, she's finding out that there are beat writers who are assholes and robbers and, you know, <laughs> bad people. And there, there is no public perception to be corrected about Team Red Hot because they're using the invests you know, to exploit the fears of Zawame City. And so at that point, then, you know, all of a sudden, it's kind of weird because he sends the invests after them, like, to to basically kill them. And then another invest pops out of nowhere and starts fighting on their behalf. And at first you're like, what the fuck? And then, of course, like you mentioned, you realize it is from Team Baron, and, you know, it's one of Kaito's invest monsters that is grappling with... Team Red Hot's Invest Monster. Yeah, which is really interesting because it again shows Kaito's kind of nobility because he could have just totally turned into Baron and like you know killed the Invest and probably killed Team you know Red Hot. But he's like, I fight fair. I don't you know I I fight strength with strength. You know, you have a strong Invest. I have a stronger Invest. You know, that's that's kind of cool. You know, while this is all going down, Michi comes home. Come back, Michi, and he sees Takatora in his room. And what is he doing? He's watching Yuya turn into an Invest. So Michi confronts him, you know, he's like, you know, you knew about this, you know, like, you know, and then Takatora, oddly enough, you would think would be like, you know, why did you tell me that you were like, you know, a common rider? You know, why did you tell me you were on Team Gaim? He actually is like, I'm proud of you for choosing your own path. And I'm going to, I'm just going to lay it all out on the line. <laughs> Which is kind of like something unexpected, you know. Did you do you think that was actually going to happen? I I don't know if I thought it was going to happen, but I I do kind of have this idea in the back of my head, going back to what I was saying about how basically you guys have talked Michi down so much that my expectations are always totally turned around when I see stuff on the show, and I I think. My thought process is, and, and this will probably come up later as well, is that's his blood, you know? Like, so I I guess I'm not that shocked. I mean, in my mind, I think family is pretty important, you know? So so to see that his brother, it, I, I think I think it's interesting because based on your misperceptions, you know, you, you may think your older brother doesn't love you and doesn't care about you because of how he's been treating Michi for the first 13 episodes, almost like, you know, oh, study, but don't do anything important. Just go study, you know, like basically is kind of, you know, like he's almost beneath him somehow, you know. But in reality, you know, he, he just kind of lays it out in terms of maybe I was wrong to keep you sheltered from all this. Like, and, and, and you sort of find out, like, that was kind of his primary motivation was I, he was going to handle that himself. And, and let Michi have his childhood, basically. But now that Michi is, as the theme of the show, coming into adulthood, it's like, okay, well, you know what? You want to know about this stuff? Like, you want to you know, you be a member of our family? Like, clearly you are 
you know, very adept, you're skilled, I'm impressed you got this much data in such a short amount of time. He's like, you want to be part of the team? Like, you know, come on in and let me let me show you, you know, what we're dealing with, and then you can make up your own mind, you know, and, and, and you know, be be a member of this family. So, I mean, I, I, I guess I'm not yeah, that and, surprised. And, and when I said earlier, like, the last episode, he's not going to just be like, come be evil. It's not like that at all. It's actually a very genuine thing. He's like, you know, you know, he's not like, you know, like, I'm evil. Watch me be evil, and I'll show you how to be evil. It's nothing like that at all. It's it's just a... Uh, it's actually a very cool moment. You know, you, you don't know how to think of Takatori. You know that he's, like, supposed to be the big bad, you know. But seeing him care for Michi, you know, it kind of – again, there's layers to these characters, and that's always really cool. However, uh, while this is going down and Michi, you know, is confronted with, you know, the the, the truth of all this, we see uh, Koda harking back to what Derek was saying in the last episode, like, you know, why doesn't Koda, like, use a more advanced driver, you know? Why doesn't he try to get the Genesis driver? Well, he does have the limited energy lock seed, and he does have that add-on, but he doesn't know how to use it. <laughs> I, I thought this was kind of a callback to some of the early episodes, like when he was first trying to use the orange arms, and he was trying to come up with, like, a pose and everything. And we said it was kind of funny, because he kept playing with the belt and transforming every yeah. five minutes. And I think in this case, he's he's really genuinely goofy, even though this is mostly a majorly serious arc. It's like the one last glimpse of kind of goofiness with, with that Genesis driver, because he doesn't know how to, you know, he's not able to use it. He's like, why can't I transform? And he doesn't know the trick to it yet. And there's no instruction manual, obviously. So he's, he's just got to keep playing with it. And so it, it's kind of interesting that, that, you know, this is just a return, a slight return to the goofiness. But then, of course, that all goes away because, obviously, you know, Kaito earlier had helped Mai get away from the Red Hot gang. And then, of course, this made me all mad because I'm all, God damn it, the Red Hot team made my girlfriend cry because she's all, like, sad and everything, <laughs> like, you know. And, and, you know, basically with what happened, like, this kind of, in some ways, this shatters her worldview. You know, like her her worldview is that yeah. dancing is good, and everybody that dances is good, and all we have to do is dance and be strong and tell everybody that they just they had we had a misunderstanding and we didn't mean any harm and everything will be okay. But the real world doesn't work that way because not everybody is good like like Maya is, so, you know, and then, of course, she's upset about it, and then, of course, this makes Coda really upset, and, and you know, as, as you know, Luke Giaconetti was fond of pointing out that, you know, Coda kind of wears his feelings on his sleeve, like, of course, when Maya gets pissed off, he gets pissed off, and he goes to, to smack some sense into these red-hot guys and tell them what's what. Yeah, 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 he goes to confront Sonomura, this guy, this guy, this fucking guy, He's like, uh, you know what? Why don't you guys just join us? You know, why don't you like, you know, become douchebags like us? You know, your girl will like it. We'll be fine. We'll give her some stuff. You know, you get some like money out of it. You know, it's pretty cool. Coda, of course, is like, the fuck are you on, man? I'm I'm Coda. I'm I'm Common Rider Gaim. You know, he, he flat out refuses. And then we get even a little bit more duplicity. And so Namur like tells him that it wasn't just his idea. Like you know like. He 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 did he did the robberies on his own, but there's also another layer. Sid gave him an offer to uh, take back the Kota Sengoku driver, and he's like, you know, and you know, he's like working for the bad guy straight up now. Not only is he just a bad guy, but he's trying to move up in the world and work for Yggdrasil a little bit. 
and he uses a, a mango lock seed that he broke, and he uh, summons one of the more powerful invests, not the standard ones. However, Sonomura is not one of the common riders. He's he's not, you know, the most adept guy. He might be able to figure out how to make them come into real life, but the seed starts to short out, and the invest goes, like, nuts. You know, kind of like when Bravo couldn't control the whole army of invests. You know, he just didn't have the knowledge of how to do so. So this guy, he can't control his more powerful lion invest, and it grows wings and, you know, gets more powerful. It looks almost like a griffin or, like, you know, kind of reminded me of uh, there was a uh, Marvel character who, I think his name was Griffin, and he had, like, a lion head and a red body and wings. He kind of oh, yeah, like yeah, yeah, the one that, that Namor flew around on in, in his title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was originally, like, a supervillain, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of looked like that. So Coda has to save Sonomura. Go figure. Again, showing why Coda is a much better person than these guys. However, it, you know, not only does it, you know, attack Red Hot, but it escapes and he's, like, attacking just civilians. It knocks uh, the rider ind- indicator off of Coda's belt. The rider indicator is that little face on the side that has, like, the profile picture, just to give you an idea of what it is. And then he's like, wait, if this can come off, maybe this can go on. He doesn't have a Genesis driver, but what he does have, that thing he was trying to fiddle with, is called a Genesis core. So he puts that in the place of where his rider indicator was, and what do we get? Lemon energy. <laughs> and it works so in... up. <laughs> <laughs> it actually works with the orange lock seed uh, together. And that's why he's called Jimber Lemon Arms, because he's orange lemony goodness. <laughs> Um, I'll get some get some double action there, some dual dual lock seed action, two at once. Oh yeah. yeah what what do you think about a uh, Jimber uh, uh, Jimber Energy Arms? Did you like it? Did yeah, it yeah, I cool? thought it was cool. Yeah, I, I I thought it was neat. I mean, I I I think it's interesting that he he determines that in the middle of battle. Like that's kind of cool. Like he's been trying this whole time to play around with the belt and figure it out, and then you know so he can actually use it, you know, it's like that, that occurs to him in the middle of battle when that, that card you were talking about gets knocked off and everything. And, you know, before that, he's desperately trying to put it on in the middle of the battle, but it's sort of, it's interesting because it seems like the Genesis lock seed is repelled from the normal lock seed slot like a magnet, you know, and he's like, why won't this yeah. fucking work, you know? And, <laughs> and then, of course, when, when he finally figures it out, then it's like, okay, cool. Now now he's, you know, Jimbo Lemon, you know? So I'm like, oh, that's cool. And, and of course, I like lemons. Yeah. So. so way to go, Coda. Way to go. <laughs> even more fruits that uh, Derek likes. Not only does this give him lemon arms, which is even more samurai looking than orange arms, it, it gives him Longatua power. And he also gets a sonic arrow, just totally killing the uh, lion and Bez pretty easily. And, you know, a, a one one for the good guys. You know, you see uh, Koda get his uh, power-up Mega Man style. You know, you can, you can use the uh, juice power of the uh, new generation riders. Now, after the, after the battle, we uh, go back to Michi. Because, remember, Takatora did say he was going to just lay it all out on the line. He didn't say he was going to lay it all out on the line for us, though. Because they I, go I know. <laughs> when 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 they show him, it's like you basically you just see a reaction shot from Michi, and he shows him the secret of the Helheim Forest and everything. And I'm like, well, we're we don't see this. Like we we actually don't know what the secret is, you know. And and yeah. so 
So it, we're just seeing his point of view, his reaction and everything. And, man, I'd be damned if I was like, you know, it looks like Michi is watching, like, Schindler's List or something. Like, that's what's going through my head, like, that it's it's something like Holocaust-level atrocity that's going on in Helheim Forest, like, that it's something really, really super serious because they, they have this conversation. And he, he's basically, Takatora is trying to convince Michi, because before he was kind of like, well, what's your intent with, with this information that you've gathered? And Michi's like, well, my intent is to make it public, you know, and, and expose the Yidrizzle Corporation and, and say that they're performing these experiments and that it's wrong. And when Michi sees what Takatora reveals to him, he says, do you still think I'm wrong? And Michi's just like, no, no, can't make it public. No, yeah. no, 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 no. You know, and it's like, oh, shit, like, this must be really fucking serious and stuff. And, and at this point, it seems like he he's definitely intending to join his brother. Not for bad reasons. He's like, you know, like, oh, shit, I didn't know what was going on, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, I think this is the point where I'm still kind of suspicious of what you guys have been, you know, the way you guys have been down-talking him, because to me, I'm kind of like, well, what do you expect? Like, that's that's his brother, you know? I mean, you know, you, you go through all these, like, you know, sort of sayings, you know, whether it's like blood is thicker than water, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, like whatever kind of phrasing you want to put it. It's like, I, I, I guess, you know, you had asked me earlier, like, do these things surprise me? And, and this part of it, like, definitely does not. I mean, I, I don't know what else you'd expect. Like, of, of course, when his brother takes him into his confidence, that's going to forge some level of trust and, and mutual respect there that maybe wasn't there at the beginning of the show. All I can say, Derek, again, not being spoilery, is when we get to, like, the uh, later 30s of the uh, show's run, you're, you're definitely going to have your moment of, motherfucker, okay, I see. <laughs> okay, okay, I, I, I eagerly await my motherfucker moment, so... <laughs> no, I agree. I mean, yeah, it's it's like I said, Michi's art. He has a full art. He does. I'll say that much. And yeah, yeah, he does. He, like starting out, you know, you see a lot of good qualities in him. I mean, I'm not going to lie, but th there are things he does that you you question. I will say that much. You're like, I don't know if that was a good idea, Michi. <laughs> but however, after the oh shit moment, because like like Derek said, Michi's reaction, despite us not seeing it, it does kind of give you the impression that. Again, shit got real. You know, there's something bad brewing on the horizon. You know, there's a storm coming, all that good stuff. So, something is rotten in Helheim Forest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Shakespeare, motherfucker, have you read it? <laughs> However, due to the last episodes, I, I guess being kind of, you know, down notes, you know, Michi trapped in Yggdrasil, you know, Hase getting killed and stuff, we're going to end on a good note. At the fruit bar, Koda is kind of going over in his head like, you know, things things have changed, and they have. They really have. However, uh, Bando, the uh, the the fruit bar uh, uh, patron, the, the guy who owns it, you know, he's like, "Come on, you know, like don't get down, you know, change is part of life, you know." And then Rat arrives. He's all happy. He's all he's all better. Duke's alive. <laughs> he's a okay. I I actually really like the talk between Kota and Bando because they they have a talk where Kota's worried. You know, he, he's kind of worried about the old adage, like, you know, 
power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And he, he's basically like, do you think, the, you know, now that he has this lemon energy, now that he's got a Genesis driver, he's like, is this going to corrupt me? Like, the more power I get, like, am I going to be a bad person because I have this power? And And Bando basically sits him down and says, well, look. You know, it's not power. Power, you can't attribute a characteristic like good or a characteristic like evil to power. Like, power can't be good or evil, you know? And he's like, only people can be good or evil, you know? And and I, I think that's a pretty good lesson, you know? It's a good thing to, to sit down and think about because, I mean, I think that applies to a lot of things. I mean, you know, it's like money cannot be good or evil. You know, guns cannot be good or evil. You know, public office cannot be good or evil. It's it's what these people do with those things that makes them good or evil, and it's just people, you know? So. <laughs> Yeah, you're gonna be you're gonna be really sad when Uncle Bando dies next episode when he drops like you know, coat off at the wrestling thing and like you know he gets shot by a carjacker. But... <laughs> I'm all Uncle Bando. Uncle Bando. Not, Uncle Bando does not get carjacked. It was a home invasion. Damn it! Can't get anything right. I'm sorry. You're right. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Um, but no. <laughs> Sorry, just like the way you described it, it did sound like an Uncle Ben kind of moment, but not as cliche because we've heard that responsibility thing too many times. But no, your point is is true. It's like a, an inanimate you know concept like power or an animate object like a gun that has no feelings, that has no you know intent. It's not good or evil. It's it's a thing. It's an object or an idea. It's it's not good or evil. It's what people do with it, which is is a very fair point. You know, as far as this episode goes. I liked it. I thought it was really good. Again, I'm a, I'm a techie head. I like, you know, cool suits and cool weapons and stuff. So Jimber Lemons made my day. It was cool seeing Cody get an upgrade. Also, there was like two things I think you, you obviously noticed, Derek, is perception. You know, my thought, all the beat writers were good people, and she gets her feel-bads hurt. And Mitchie thought, you know, Yggdrasil and his brother, you know, were just doing evil things, and he's like, holy shit, maybe they're not. There's something really bad happening. So perception played a big role in this, you know? Yeah, I, I enjoyed the episode. I, I would say, again, it is above average. I, I gave it 3.5 pineapples, so I, I enjoyed it. I mean, it does end on a on a more positive note than some of the other episodes. I mean, I enjoyed seeing the new Simber Lemon and everything. They did make my girlfriend cry, so I got to take some points off for that. But, you know, other than that, you know, I mean, it, it, it was, it was, a, it was a good episode. I mean, the, the, you know, seeing, I, I think the escape scene and everything like that, like that was really fun and cool. And I, I enjoyed the badass tree chop. Like that was a standout. I liked that he used the strawberry arms during the escape. Like, you know, I wish there was a figure art of strawberry arms too. Cause I think that's a cool look and armor yeah. for, for Kota as well. So, I mean, yeah, like I said, Eagle it's, barbs. So it's a good above average episode. Again, three three point five pineapples from me. Again, I don't know if these these last few episodes just hit my sweet spot, and or I'm just I'm just a fanboy and I like the show a whole lot. I'm gonna give it four. It doesn't get the vaunted five, but it gets it gets a solid four. This was I, again, I, you know, when you show me something cool like Jimber Lemons, I, I, I'm probably gonna be swayed. I'm probably gonna be a little biased, but it was a good episode all over uh, overall. So I I, I 
attribute good storytelling to the、uh, rating as well. Deluxe Genesis Driver. Sarani, Unit Toa, Sengoku Driver, Nikat Tai. Tatsuno Chikaraba, Mix, Stotsuni, Jimbaremo, Time no Shika, Mito no Kyo. Moving on, trudging forward. We are going to episode 17. This should, this should maybe get four <laughs> pineapples from Derek because we have. The Peace Rider, Molika, descends. Obviously, we're going to be talking about someone that Derek liked in this show, so maybe that'll tickle his fancy. <laughs> oh, that's right, baby. You tickled my fancy. <laughs> Not going to say anything. <laughs> She'll probably break my arm before she tickles my fancy. Exactly.、Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just said I wasn't going to say anything. Moving, moving on from、uh, Derek's Elheim Forest. We are with、uh, Takatora, and、uh, this is after he's revealed to Michi you know, the, the horrible truth about Elheim Forest. You know? Like I said, we don't know what it is, but, you know, but, but as, as standard, like, like I said, we don't know if Takatora is good or bad yet, but as a standard bad guy kind of thing, he has told Michi you know, to, to be a part of the family, he's got to get Koda a Sengoku driver. And, like, at any cost, you've got to get it. We're done collecting data from this guy, as far as, like, you know, I'm telling you now. So get it. You know, and then, then he, Michi meets up, meets up with Coda. And Coda, again, it is, the, the guy has, like, Peter Parker luck. Even when he was, you know, well received by the, fan, like the, the public for being Common Rider Guy, he was horrible at his jobs. And now, however, because the beat writers are looked down upon, Now he just can't get a fucking job, you know? It's just not, not, not going well, you know? He, he has the Parker luck. He really does. He's like, you know, he, he's like, you know, trying to talk him up, you know? And he, but he also knows that he has to do this horrible thing. He, but he wants to be friends with Coda and he wants to be friends with Mai. He wants to do other things with Mai, I'm sure, but at least just be friends for now. It's, it's interesting that, that, that you bring up Coda's job search because there is this weird kind of irony as he is. Telling his friend Michi of his trials and tribulations, trying to get a job while being a beat writer who is viewed negatively in the public eye currently. And Michi kind of relates to him, but when he relates to him in the back of your mind, there's that notion that, oh, well, Michi's got to do something not so nice to get the job that he wants to get, too. You know, so it's、yeah. kind of funny that, that there's that weird kind of parallel. They're, they're both trying to get these jobs, but unbeknownst to Coda, you know, part of Michi attaining his position at Yggdrasil is. Involving getting back his Sengoku driver. Yeah. As, as this title of the episode says, you know,、uh, Marika, you know, being descending, you know, this is, you know, going to be like, should be, her, you know, her episode as far as like her having a prominent place. And she does. Anato, her real name, she's helping out Michi, you know, the next day by, we're, we're going back to Michi Hunt as he's using a vo- voice altering device. And he's. <laughs> Michi loves his some spy stuff. That's, that's his deal. Again, Oren and shows that he is completely a mercenary. He, he's all about the payday. He hires Oren Bravo and Jonucci Chip. This was the point where, where he offers him the white armored rider's identity if he carries out his mission, and that's what he 
you know, that's that's what Bravo happily, heartily agrees to. Because he's like, do you know the identity yeah. of that that wonderful young man? You know? <laughs> and it's like, I do know the identity of that wonderful young man. And he's like, will you tell me the identity of that wonderful young man if I carry out your mission? It's like, I will tell you the identity. And he's like, oh, goody. Yeah. Then very well, I shall carry out your mission. Yeah, being a mercenary doesn't mean he just gets paid the money. It's just whatever he wants at that point. Yeah, then Michi calls Coda, and using the voice altering device, he says that he's kidnapped a girl named Akira. And if she, if Coda wants to save her, he's got to like you know bring this Goku driver to the industrial district. You know, it all you know it all depends on him. That's his sister. Oh, that's right. We haven't seen her so long. I forgot her name was Akira. Akira, shit. Yeah, that's Yeesh. that's that. That's they kidnap Coda's sister. Like that's why that that this was the one moment where I could see where maybe you know I I could see where somebody would go. Oh, that's a low blow, dude, man, going after your best friend's sister. Like because he's he's exploiting weaknesses that he's aware of due to their friendship. You know, like so. Yeah, I mean, I can see why somebody might think that's a low blow. I don't I don't think he intends to have anything horrible done to her. I think he he expects. Kota to just turn over the driver without any physical altercation, but that's not how it ends up playing out. Yeah, I haven't seen Akira in so long. I forgot Sailor Mercury was was you know his sister. <laughs> My bad. Kota, Kota, of course, you know I, I I remember that she was in the the pretty Guardian Sailor Moon. I just didn't remember that. Kota gets to the location. You know he's like you know he's got to think the sister. Come on, the Bravo is there, and wait, it's not Akira. It's actually Minato. She's disguised and, you know, womp, womp, womp. Bravo's like, actually, your sister is, you know, at my bakery with Chip. And he has been told to do, you know, to attack her if you don't give me the belt. Pretty smart plan, you know, not, not too bad. But the thing is, though, <laughs> Oren is a guy who just doesn't trust people, apparently. Because <laughs> he sabotaged his own, I guess, pupil slash board slash grab-ass buddy. And mess with his lock seed, and that uh, he's going to take the Sengoku driver by force, and he doesn't feel that such dirty tricks are correct. You know, he's like, I, I think he has a weird honor. He's like, he'll sabotage his own people's lock seed, but yeah. Well, it, it sounds like his main issue is uh, no customer of mine is going to be assaulted while they're eating my pastries, and I will not have anybody. You know, it, basically, I, I think the idea is it, it'd be like if you if you kidnapped somebody and brought them to your place of business. He, he's basically like if this was like a mobster movie or something. He's like, I'm not going to have no guy whacked in my own bakery. You know, like that's that's kind of where he's coming from. And he's like, he's like, you want this belt? Yeah, I, I, I guess I did explain this uh, correctly. When I said that Kira was at the Charmant Bakery, it's not some, like, hostage situation where, like, you know, she's tied up and, you know, he's like, you, you take one step, I'm going to offer. No, she's sitting at a table eating some cake. And don't yes. she's just got his eye on her, yeah. She she thinks she's won a special contest and she's she's getting all these pastries for free. So, yeah, I mean, she's she's, you know, basically happy as a pig in mud, you know, trying out all these different different concoctions that that Pierre Alfonso has created, you know, so, and, and, and of course, like all the women in this show, like she just seems to cream her pants over these, these bakery things or whatever. So. German apparently is amazing. Of course, Coda is not a fan, but <laughs> however, you know, you Dakota being our hero, 
breaks out the Jimber Lemon arms and takes out Bravo. Bravo's losing some status as this series goes on. My note for this is uh, Bravo's a or, or yeah, Bravo's a jobber now. <laughs> yeah, it's like every time yeah, he shows he, up, yeah. he gets his ass kicked and runs away. Yeah, he's definitely getting jobber status now. Minato, interestingly enough, not evilly, but just almost like you said, very patronizingly, is like you know, kind of riding Mitchy, like you know. Oh, so this is your brilliant idea, huh? It worked out so well. Then she plugs in the peach energy lock seed. A peachy energy. Soda. <laughs> Becoming Marika. And, you know, she's like, okay, Mitchie. You know, like, you know, like we were saying, the whole family thing earlier, you know, like, show us where you really, you know, like, put your, uh, lay your hat, you know. Who are you, who are you really going to join? Uh, Michi, of course, like you said, Derek, you know, not completely a douche. He's 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 having a moment of doubt, you know. He's like, Coda's my friend, you know. And he turns to Ryugan and shoots Marika and telling her to report to Ryoma that he will protect Coda. And, you know, you're thinking, man, that's a really cool thing. You know, he did that. And, hmm, we'll, well see. Because, yeah. It, it's, it's interesting because they they – Marika and and Michi do have a communication, though. Even though she gets shot by him, he he does not reveal that his brother is the one who ordered him to get the belt back. He plays it like it was Professor Ryoma that is the mastermind behind this whole thing. Uh, he's kind of he's kind of diffusing any culpability from himself and, and possibly the, the strange voice guy was Ryoma on the phone as far as Kota knows, you know, and Farika picks up on that and, and nods to him like, Oh yes, the professor, I get it. Wink, wink, you know, like I <laughs> see what you're doing there, you know? So there, there is that kind of communication that, you know, even earlier in the episode when they first meet, you know, she's like, well, why don't you just take it by force? You know, she's been pushing him to just turn into Ryu. And, and have a one-on-one fight with him, and, and he's kind of like, I don't need to dirty my hands, and, you know, I, I, I can do this my own way by manipulating people, and that's what will be useful to the corporation, and, you know, she she kind of knows, like, well, you're a, you know, you're a shrewd little boy, I think is what she says to him, you know, so, so yeah, again, you're, you're, she, you're a real Kirishima, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and she, she picks up on that in this last scene, too, the, the shrewdness of, of how he's playing his hand, you know, and she's like, I see, I will, I will go along with the hand that you're dealing, I, I will not say anything to the, the other players on the table, you know, I'll, I'll keep your little secret or whatever, and as far as the, the fight between Peach and, and Zimber Lemon, like, I, I really enjoyed that. That was fun. Like, the they, they basically, they have... She's, what, yeah, she's a badass in her writer form, too, yeah. I, well, and, and, and what's funny is they, they kind of hint at this later in, in future episodes, but they kind of hint that she was holding back, too. And then and then the other thing that was cool was they, they have what I like to call the traditional Japanese runoff, but because they're using the Genesis drivers, it's like the traditional Japanese runoff with arrows, you know, and they're like trying to like shoot each other as they do the Japanese run face off or whatever. And, and I thought that was a cool, fun scene yeah. and everything. Yeah, I, I always call that the, the, the uh, ninja 100-yard dash because they run like ninjas and shoot at each other. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, and like you said, M- Michi again shows how how scheming he can be. You know, again, whether whether for good or bad, this guy is not a dumbass. He's not stupid. He's 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 very. What, I'm trying to think of the correct word. Not it's not manipulative. He's very meticulous in his planning. You know, he he kind of like sees all the cards on the table, and even if one card gets taken away, he's got well, I've got three others I can play. Well, what what um, he's doing, what he's doing is he's playing all sides of the Yggdrasil cabal. You know, he's 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 telling his brother one thing, he's telling Sid another thing, and then he's telling the professor and. Minato, another thing. So it's like he's he's yeah. basically like playing all these guys and and just to to meet his own goals. So whereas I think Chip thought he was doing that with Bravo and failed miserably, like Michi is actually probably a bishop at this point, and he can he can diagonally slide across the board if he wants to. And, you know, he, yeah. he may he may get to the point where one of his pawns makes him a queen, and then he'll be even more badass. You know, like, so it's like, I, I think yeah, exactly. as opposed to Chip, like, he actually can can probably hang with all these guys, you know? Yeah, he has the skill to back it up, not just the uh, arrogance. Yeah. Also, Michi, like, this is something you can take two ways. And... Again, if you watch later episodes, you'll see how this may be seen this way. He's, he, he's doing this also. The other ulterior motive to this is so he could be friends with Koda and, and Maya for a little bit longer. And at, at face value, you're like, that's really sweet. You know, he wants to be friends. You know, he, he, he doesn't want to like hurt his friends. But you could also see it possibly as a selfish thing that, like, you know, you know, I I want everything. I want to be a part of Yggdrasil, have the power, and my friends all at the same time. And, you know, I could do this. He certainly is attempting to juggle many balls. We will, I'll, I'll give you guys that. I mean, he, he wants his brother's acceptance and to be part of Yggdrasil and his family's corporate structure and his internal family. So you've got two balls there, you know. And then he also wants to retain the happiness he gets out of being part of Team Gaim. So there's another ball right there. You know what I mean? So it's like he's got all these balls, and eventually he, yeah. you know, I, I think I, I think part of that whole adulthood saga is maybe learning that you you can't juggle all those balls. You know, at some point, something has to give, you know, because sometimes, yeah. you know, when you come to adulthood, you're forced with a lot of choices, and sometimes your family forces you to choose between your friends, or your friends forces you to choose between your family, or you know, there, there's these hard decisions that that you have to make. And at this point, he's not really making the hard decision, and he's he's basically trying to, I guess, as you're saying, you know, have his cake and eat it too. So, I mean, I, I guess I can see that. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, and I see what you're saying. At some point in adulthood, your balls drop. <laughs> So yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to disappoint you, Tony. Four four pineapples for me. Four pineapples. Four pineapples. I I, I kind of figured because Minato slash Marika is pretty badass. I don't know if she's going to replace your girl Mai, but I, I I definitely think that she's maybe like Mai's your girlfriend and she's kind of like your celebrity crush. <laughs> I I just I I think she's cool. Like I think I think Mai's my girlfriend and we're gonna see me get really excited next episode. So. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I, I I think I'm gonna uh, I want to go with you on this. I think I want to stay with my last uh, two ratings and go four pineapples as well. One thing I will say: no matter what you think of Mitchie, if you think he turns into an asshole, or if you think he's completely justified in his actions, 
seeing him play his game is really entertaining. The, the actor is very good. I like the actor who plays him. We're on episode 18 with the very, very ominous title of Farewell, Beach Riders. Like, Jesus, what happens? <laughs> it, it may not be as bad as you think. Just, just hold on, guys. <laughs> Team Dime, again, due to Maya's influence, you know, they're, they're trying to do an all-teams dance event, again, to, again, raise their PR. They want to, like, not be seen as, like, you know, Team uh, Red Hot, you know, just a bunch of thugs. And again, all the other teams are like, no, like, screw you guys. Team Baron are dicks. You know, they didn't show up even for the meeting, which is, is a good point. Team Baron is known for not playing well with others. You know, even if you like Kaito, not really a great team player sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I think Mai's goal is to have all the, the teams or gangs declare a ceasefire so that they can do this dance-off all together and basically show Suwame City that, they can stop fighting and that basically they're, they, they don't have anything to fear from people who just want to dance. Like we won't, we, if, if the invest games are what you're scared of because of the disease and the monsters and everything, we can, we can forsake the invest games, but we can't forsake our dancing is basically where she's coming from. And then of course I told you I was going to be super happy about this episode. You know what I'm the most happy about? Those cheerleader hotties in the white jackets and the short shorts are back. Aw, yeah. I was like, yeah, they're <laughs> back. They're hot. I was like, yeah. So, yeah, I was excited to see them. But, yeah, you, you get a better concept of, like, some of the other teams. Because I think even in that movie, like, there there were those girls and then Gaim, Baron, and I think it was, like, Team Raid Wild or whatever, Raid Wild. But, but but here, like you see the 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 nerdy glasses girls who are kind of part of the uh, uh, chips in veto yeah. in veto, like his his spinoff team or whatever, and then you know there there are those other teams that that maybe weren't as I guess as you might say they're they're sort of periphery teams and stuff, and 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 it's interesting that that. They they basically reject the proposal, and, and it's not so much because of Team Baron. It's it seems like it's specifically because of Kaito. Like they they all yeah. can't stand Kaito, which which is is kind of interesting. So I mean that that's basically why they all you know basically walk out of the negotiation table <laughs> essentially. And Mai, of course, being the person she is, she's like not going to give up the ghost yet. And she goes to try to get Kaido to join. You know, it's like, come on, you know, dance. Don't you love to dance? And Kaido's like, no, fuck dancing, more or less. I mean, he's he's not having it. He's he's very stern in this one. He's uh he's so damn stern that Kaito quits Team Baron as well. He's like, I don't need you guys. I got stuff to do, and you're just getting in my way. And I I, I kind of took that. I, I kind of took that on multiple levels though. I mean, obviously him yeah, yeah. going solo fulfills his own purpose, but him going solo also sort of aids Mai's goals as well in a roundabout way because if he's not part of Team Baron, then all these other teams don't have to get their panties in a bunch about 
having the ceasefire, you know? So, so that, that sort of, I mean, I, y- you could argue with me whether he realizes that or not, but I, I think part of him does. I, th- I think that's a deliberate decision on his part to excise himself from the dance teams so that they can have that event. I, I mean, I guess spoilers, but otherwise he wouldn't come in at the end and help them. Like, you know, he's like, screw you guys. Or is he? Because also, if he didn't care about Team Baron at all, he wouldn't give Dancer Zack a Sengoku driver before he left, you know, ensuring that Team Baron actually still has a common rider. Yeah, and obviously we, we've seen before, like, when they took his teammate to the hospital, like, he cares about his teammates, even though he's he's going to fly solo from this point on. Yeah, exactly. And and just, just like your, your psychic, Derek, or something, uh, Kota then confronts Kaito, and indeed, that is pretty much the thing. He is he's flying solo for his own reasons, but also now the team is free to join the event without any animosity. Layers to this guy, so many layers. Oren Bravo figures out what's going on from Jonucci, uh, Chip, and of course, being him, he's like, you know, I'm gonna teach those kids to get off my lawn, you know. <laughs> It's funny how basically he's doing like this. They're they're doing all this promotion for the dance off, and he's basically doing like this anti promotion with like a loudspeaker going, "Are you afraid of those nasty grubby beat writer kids? Come say it with me. Like I will clean up the city and all this kind of stuff." And like even the way he finds out, like is kind of funny. Like there is that still that slapstick nature too, because it it's. It's funny because Junichi is sitting there, like on a stairwell that's made of concrete and everything, and then he discovers the flyer and stuff. But there's this kind of funny slapstick, like if 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 literally like Oren leaped across the stairwell and and like I mean this is all like CGI, so obviously the actors aren't being hurt, and I'm sure there's trickery with the cameras, so they're actually landing on you know like soft flooring and everything like that but the way it's shot you know it's like he he kicks Junichi like onto the concrete and everything and it's not like he's bleeding and needs to go to the hospital it's more like this kind of Warner Brothers Tom and Jerry type stuff where they're getting like slapped around and 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 it's kind of ridiculous but I thought it was interesting you know it's it's, it's like seeing an anime in live action where they do those pratfalls and it's like seeing that kind of Pratt folly behavior with live uh, it, it, it was it was interesting like seeing that done in live action like yeah. because I think it uh, sometimes I think it wouldn't play well at all you know like you'd look at it and kind of go what the fuck are they doing but in this case I, I I mean I think I got the idea of it like I I guess just because whenever he's on screen Durian or Bravo you know it's I don't know how to explain it it's just everything gets a little silly you know, like just, just it's fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I, I don't know. It's just like all of a sudden concrete isn't concrete anymore. You know, like the world turns upside yeah. down, you know? So, so it's, it's, I, I think it plays well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, like I told you, uh, Bravo is one of my favorite writers in this show. So I, I have no issue with it at all, <laughs> but unfortunately they can't have too much, you know, lightheartedness. Cause back at the tree, uh, you drizzle corporation. Uh, we have, we see uh, Professor Sengoku uh, looking at a fight of uh, Jimber Lemon with Marika, and he's like, hmm, I'm going to try my new invention as soon as I can. 
dun dun dun. You know, yeah, Rayoma's a he's a creepy dude. Um, as, as it tends to go with a guy, and even Baron, the uh, the fans, yeah, they're they're not into it, even though. Guy and Baron both appear on the stage. They're 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 both you know they're going to work together to try to you know get things going and get people to like the beat writers. But Bravo did a good job, and a lot of people didn't show up, and a lot of the, you know people who would normally enjoy the dance routines don't show up either. Again, being Guy and I guess Baron's renewed hope. I don't know. Zach must be a really good leader. They keep dancing, and that's cool. It's interesting because, you know, Mai has a line where she says, even if there's only one person in the audience, we should dance. And I I guess that's kind of interesting because I, I feel like I can speak to that from experience. <laughs> you know, like I've I've been in cases where, I mean, it can be incredibly awkward. Like sometimes it's it's really awkward, but I've been in cases where, you know, obviously I've done a lot of stage productions and everything like that. And, you know, some cases you have a packed house and everybody's there and all the seats are filled and everything. And in some cases you have, a, you know, a quieter, smaller audience, maybe not so many people as, as you know, if, if your full house is 100 people, you know, maybe you only have like 10 or 15 people or something like that. But I, I've been in cases where there's only been one dude, you know, and it was just like it was funny <laughs> because because it was like, oh, I. You know, I remember it was, and it was a friend of mine, so I got to talk to him afterwards, and it was just funny, like, he was like, oh, I, I he's like, I could have come back a different day, like, because it felt weird for him, too, you know, because he's like, oh, all these people, they're just putting on a show for just me, you know, like, like, that's kind of weird, but, you know, anyway, you know, just speaking from experience, like, like, I, I understand where she's coming from, it's like that whole, the show must go on type thing, like, even if there's only yeah. one person in the audience, we should dance, but then at the same time, like, there is that kind of practicality of it where you're like oh is it really like does it does a tree make a sound in the forest if nobody's there to hear it type thing you know these these kind of metaphysical yeah. kind of <laughs> philosophical things like is it worth performing for no one or just less than you you know if you if you don't reach the people what what is the point of your performance you know but i think i think a lot of that has to do with all the fear and and you know disinformation that's been spread across Zawame City and 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 oh, like yeah. you know Bravo plays a large part in in spreading that misinformation so i i don't think you know i, I mean even though physically the audience is very limited there's only like what four or five guys and girls there you can see that even though it's gaim and and Baron, the teams that are there to dance, you can see all the other teams are still watching it on television, like sort of yeah. keeping tabs on it. So even though they think they don't have an audience, I guess maybe this is, is something to realize as well, just because you don't think anybody's listening to you podcast right now. There could be tons of people listening to us podcast right now, you know, because of the information age of technology that we're in. You know, it's like somebody may not be right here in this room listening to me right now, but there are plenty of people listening to us, just like there are plenty of people watching them dance, even though they're not physically there. Yeah, don't think about, don't think about who's not there. Just think about who could be there. But, of course, Bravo. Bravo being uh, the dick he is sometimes. He uh, gets his buddy Chip to summon a bunch of invests to pretty much attack them. <laughs> Because such a nice guy, Coda, you know, confronts Bravo, and then we get a new rider. Zach shows up, 
and honestly, this is not my favorite writer, but is one of my favorite designs in the show, as he turned into Armored Rider Knuckle Kurumi Arms, a Mr. Knuckle Man. He basically has two giant fists, and he punches people. How can you not like that? <laughs> I, I thought you he know. was cool. I was kind of surprised, because I, I don't think I understood at the time that that Baron gave him a completely different driver belt. Oh, he thought he gave him his? Oh, okay. Yeah, I wasn't sure. Like, at the time, I was like, did he give him banana arms? Like, what's he going to do? Like, I thought maybe he was in Helheim just looking for, like, other stuff or whatever. But I guess he, he gave him the, the Knuckle Man one. So that was, to me, I was like, oh, cool. He's he's a totally different writer. Like, that was something I didn't know was coming at all. So. Yeah, and as you were saying, with everybody watching, DJ Sagara, again, playing that kind of middle ground. You know, is he bad? Is he good? He streams the event live. And all the teams that were watching decided to join in as well. They're like, fuck this dude. <laughs> and, and, and funny enough, the nerdy girls find uh, Chip and they're like, you're dancing too, asshole. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, though, because at, at, at one point when Chip is still on the, the side of Bravo or whatever, he pulls the plug on the music and pulls out the the tape that they're they're dancing to and everything and still again yeah. the show must go on vibe continues to permeate because it's funny even after that they're like all right one two three four you know and they all start snapping and they just basically you know dance to the beat which is you know that they're using their snaps as like a metronome and they're just kind of doing the whole routine and everything so i, I thought that was kind of cool too because i mean if you if i'm not saying i'm a dancer because i'm clearly not but and and i've never been very good at it but i you know being in in theater you know i've been exposed to a lot of dancers and all that kind of stuff and of course there's plenty of times where people practice without the actual music, you know, so it's like that's basically what this was, you know, it was kind of like a musicless run through of whatever their their dance was and stuff like that. And then interestingly enough, five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And interestingly enough, the, the nerdy girls eventually discovered the discarded tape when they pull Junichi back on the stage and everything and, and put the put the tape back in. And then they once again have music. And it's actually kind of funny, like, if you pay attention, because it's such a wide shot of all the different teams dancing and everybody's doing their best to, to remain in character, even though they're in that wide shot. So that's, I mean, from an acting perspective, that's kind of impressive because you could easily kind of go, ah, it's just wide coverage. Who gives a shit? But, you know, like, they, they all seem to be in character, even in that wide shot. And I like that scene with Junichi, where it's like, like, first, he's kind of, like, all grumpy and not dancing, but eventually, like, the beat, it, yeah. the beat finally gets to him, and it's, like, all of a sudden, it's, like, you know, he's, he's trying to sit there fighting it, and then all of a sudden, he just busts out into, like, and it's, like, fuck this, I'm going to dance, you know, and I was, like, oh, that's, that's kind of cool, like, I like that little, that little moment and everything. Well, I think Gloria Stefan said many times that the rhythm is going to get you. <laughs> Kaido, true to true to his uh, form, he's, he's not he's not a coward. He can say what he wants, and he does care about his team. Baron arrives to help Mister Knuckleman against the Invest. Coda decides that you know he's had enough of this shit, so Jimba arms, and he takes on Bravo. Uh, the, the the people who are there, uh, the crowd becomes larger because you got to fight and dance. I mean, come on, how could you not? The Invest are all beat up. Again, Bravo is such a jobber. He gets beat again. 
And uh, through the magic of dance, the, the, the people of Zawami City are like, maybe these B-Riders aren't so bad. <laughs> I'm like, Bravo is the, the killer croc of this series. He, he came on the scene all big and bad, but eventually he's just a dumb guy who throws rocks at Batman, you know? He's a big rock. However, though, unlike the last episode where we ended up on a, a happy note, Koda is later approached by one of the new generation riders. Should I spoil it? That it's... Yeah, go ahead. We're, we're going to talk about the next episode anyway. I guess I will. Well, I'm trying to think if I should just say his name or say who it is. Well, let's just say we end it with Common Rider Duke attacking Kota, and then yeah, yeah. to find out who Common Rider Duke really is. Yeah, that's what I was going to debating on. Like, should I reveal who this guy is? Before we go into rankings or anything like that, I, I also just want to say that my, my one of my favorite moments in the episode is when, after all the fighting is concluded, and, you know, Baron turns to Ryder Knuckleman, the, the newly Christianed Ryder and everything, and he just kind of, like, looks at him and is like, get stronger, you know? And, and like, that's pretty much, like, the ultimate in... in respect from from a guy like kaito you know he's kind of like i gave you my driver you did a good job with it make sure you get stronger maybe we'll fight and beat each other up one day you know and i was just like that's that's yeah. cool i love I, I like that scene a whole lot yeah yeah because zach like zach is totally new to this he, he is this is his first outing as uh mr knuckleman he did pretty good you know i mean he he, he wasn't like you know badass but he was definitely, he, he definitely wasn't Chip and Dale. He did much better than those guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I'm going to shock you and everything, but this had my cheerleaders. This had some cool fights. Like, it had some cool scenes. So I'm, I'm going to give this five pineapples. I dug this episode. This was an awesome episode. I, you know what? I was going to tease you earlier when you said that you lose it. I was going to be like, five out of five. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's all I need. I, I think even if the episode was abysmally dismal and the cheerleaders were in it, I'd still give it five out of five. So, but no, this was this was this was beyond beyond just the cheerleaders. This was this was a good episode. I like I like the dance sequences. I like the moment with Janichi. I like knuckle man's premiere i like durian jobbering for like the seventh time now you know like i like i liked all that stuff so i i really really enjoyed it you know kaito going solo yeah so there, there's lots of good stuff in this so definitely five out of five pineapples for me this probably to me this was oh, my me. favorite this was my favorite episode of the arc oh cool cool i'm gonna go a little bit lower but not by much um, i'm gonna go four and a half Really good episode. Mr. Knuckleman again. Like I said, I don't know if, he, if I would consider him a favorite writer, but I just like how he looks. He just looks really cool. Again, I, I like Bravo, and Bravo, the, the cartoony moment with him and uh, Chip, that was really funny. It was enjoyable. Yeah, it was, just, it was a fun episode. And I, I think one of the things that I really liked about it was is the title is totally, uh, uh, you know, misdirection. It's totally a red herring. And I was like, goodbye, Beatrides. You're gone forever. You know? <laughs> it's like, like, uh, uh, nope, nope, they, they just, you know, they, they had to go through some hardship, and, you know, now they're back on top, so, yeah, yeah, very, very solid episode, so, if nothing else, if you watch this arc, you know, definitely check out that, that episode. That is, that is the penultimate episode, and now we're on to the final episode of this arc, the Yip Brazil arc slash adulthood, episode 19, and again, a kind of a creepy title, The Gifted Secret Weapon, ooh. As we said earlier, at the end of the last episode, 
Duke appears, and he's wanting to take on Jimber Lemon Arms. Interestingly enough, I dropped a hint earlier saying that uh, Duke is in uh, blue and yellow, looks kind of lemony. He does have Lemon Energy Arms as well. And poor Coda, you know, gets his ass kicked. <laughs> he straight up, like, bitch slaps him out of his rider mode. Like, so that's, you're like, wow. Like, because, and it's interesting because he has that commentary. He's like, oh, I, I don't know my own strength. I'm sorry. Transform again. Let's fight again. Like, it's basically like, he's like, come at me, bro. And then he, like, totally bitch slaps him, like, into a brick wall. I was like, I'm sorry, dude. I'm sorry. I didn't give you a chance. Like, why don't you why don't you get up again uh, after you wipe the blood off your face and then come at me one more time? Sorry, I I was too rough. Like come at me again. But yeah, nope. it, it's very it, you know it's it, it, it's part patronization and 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 part like total badassery. You know where you're like oh crap like this guy could legitimately take the throne from Zangetsu and, and you know you you think maybe you know because he's he's obviously a a it, his equipment is so powerful that that he can just I mean and and it's not just like he bitch slaps Coda out of like orange arms it's like no he bitch slaps him out of the the lemon mix arms which is supposed to be Coda's most powerful mode at this point so it's like you think like oh yeah I'm in my toughest mode nobody could touch me oh yeah you know so it that was a pretty yeah. uh, pretty badass moment yeah. And, 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 you know, as far as strength goes, we know one of the guys who really loves strength is Kaito, and Baron steps in. He's like, okay, you bitch slapped Kodo, but you're not going to do that to me. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah, he does. Um, <laughs> yeah, Kaito gets his, his, like, many wallets were taken on this day. <laughs> Kaito gets pwned. Like, he's not a jobber, but he certainly gets pwned in this situation. Yeah, and even worse, even worse, after Duke beats these guys, you would think he would, like, you know, just, like, take them out, you know? Like, I, I could totally spank these guys. No, he just leaves. He's like, hmm, that was interesting. See you later. <laughs> it's, just, it's just so, like you said, patronizing and just, like, dismissive. Is like, wanted to see what I could do. Okay, apparently I could do a whole lot of cool shit, so I'll talk to you later. <laughs> Kaito, of course, is pissed off about this. And, you know, he, he's like, you know, I'm going to break into the Yggdrasil again because that worked out so well when we got captured last time. <laughs> and he's going to try to figure out what the hell is going on. We see we see the, the on-again, off-again bromance between Kaito and Kota uh, rekindle. As, <laughs> yeah. Because Kota's totally on board, yeah. There's that moment where he's like, okay, I'm going to come with you, bro. And, and, and Kaito just stops. And then it's like, you, you know his reaction is like, do whatever, man. But you know, when he stopped in his tracks, it was like, "Yay, I have a friend." <laughs> but but uh, he yeah. can't say that, so he's just gotta be like, "Yeah, do do whatever, whatever, whatever you feel like." Yeah. But in the inside, he's probably like, "Yes." Yeah, like yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, kind of. He's he's so fun. Meanwhile, we uh, check in with Team Gaim proper. And uh, it, it's kind of cool. It's kind of a nice little moment because Diamond Baron are celebrating. You know, they're they're kind of together as as buddies now. Interestingly enough, a couple of dancers kind of quit because of it. You know, it's just yeah, kind of thing happens. You know, it's not it's not really dwelled upon. It's mainly about celebration. They they kind of imply that the the people who quit weren't as serious about dancing as the people that are still there, like Ma yeah, yeah. and. 
and the guy, what's his name? The guy that becomes Knuckleman. Knuckleman. Yeah, Zach. Zach. Not as not as um, Zach, yeah. serious about it as mine or Zach or, or, or Michi or whatever. Yeah. So. And Rat's still there. Fucking Rat. Hell yeah. Um, Code is there too. He's 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 with his team. He's always meet uh, Kaito at the uh, fruit bar. And who who should show up but where but Mitchie. And of course Mitchie being Mitchie, you know, Mr. Uh, Ethan Hunt. Mitchie Hunt, he's like, you know, I I want to know this shit. I wanna break into Yankerzilla again. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he follows, <laughs> he follows him even though he says, I I'm going I'm going because 'cause I'm late. He he tells Mitchie he's late for a job interview and he's like, I knew you wasn't going to no fucking job interview, motherfucker. Like he's <laughs> like, I know what the fuck's going on, you know, like so he's basically like, you know, what are you guys planning to do? And they're like, oh, I'm planning to break into the to the Drizzle Corporation. It's like, but we're going to do it through Helheim because it's not guarded as well as the, you know, the front doors and everything. And it's like, sounds like a good plan. Sounds like a good plan. Like, and, and I think he just says like, oh, I'll, I'll cause a distraction for you so that you can, you can get in and everything. Yeah. Of course, Mitchie, who, who again, as Derek and me have pointed out, plays many, many, many cards. He tells Takatora and they of course set up an ambush. It's just Sid, Derek's favorite new generation writer. And they're, uh, <laughs> uh, and they have a couple of the Kurokage sword troopers riding up. Oh, we gotta sell some toys. Uh, this this uh, weird looking ATST thing is called a tulip hopper. You know, you know what I thought of it as? I was like, it's it's like the Cobra Pogo, but it's it's like a uh, tulip. So yeah, yeah. Take a good look at the Cobra Pogo. Pogo's loaded for action. It's the new Cobra Commander. Cobra! But Joe's coming back with the G.I. Joe Slam. On the run for the G.I. Joe Slam. He's out back in crazy land. It's got a four-cannon gun that can swivel to face the enemy. G.I. Joe Live the adventure of G.I. Joe. Cobra Pogo, G.I. Joe Slam, and figures sold separately. Me a G.I. Joe. You know, so that's that's all I could think of. Yeah, when these I saw things them. have legs and they hop around a lot. Yeah, they're 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 kind of silly looking. Like, Guy is a fun show, but besides the hover bikes and the watermelon wrecking ball, some of the vehicles leave a little to be desired. So it is what it is. <laughs> well, on on the upside, like you said, with DJ Sahara playing all angles and everything, he again comes out and Kaito's like, why should we listen to this gig drizzle dog or whatever? And he, he's like, well, you know, because they, they end up getting kicked out of, of Helheim Forest even after they break in. Like, they just, it, yeah, yeah. yeah, they end up like, you know, the, the stormtroopers and Sid, they end up just chucking the Cobra you know, crash and everything. So Yeah, so Sarah's like, yeah, yeah, he's like, I want to help. Yeah, he gives he gives Kota one of the the tulip hopping armor things or whatever. So now now they have one of those vehicles, and then Kaito's very much like, well, I, I don't need shit, I don't need shit. But there's this funny scene where he's like, you know, why don't you take this? And the minute he gave him the watermelon thing, I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Again, yeah, that's one of our favorite uh, weapons in the in the, the the vehicle arsenal, I guess you would say. Interesting thing about Sagara, he uh, says that, you know, uh, he, like like you say, Kaido's like, you know, I don't trust this asshole. And all he says is he wants to figure out who the Helheim Forest will choose, which is, you know, definitely, like, mysterious. Wouldn't you agree? 
I, I would agree with you. I, I kind of was wondering, I started thinking in terms of how I thought about my and that the blonde version of my could possibly be from a future or an alternate future or something like that. So I started wondering, like, does DJ Sahara, does he somehow have future knowledge that our current cast is not privy to? Is that what he means by, you know, someone being chosen? You know, is somebody going to, you know, was he a chosen one or is he an older version of of one of the main characters somehow, like in the future, like th those were the kind of things that started running through my head in terms of speculation where I'm, you know, of course I'm not privy to the actual information like Tony is, but, but I mean, these were just some, some speculations I had where I'm, I'm pontificating the possibilities, you know? So, so I thought that was, I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. It was like, yeah, it was like, Hmm. Yeah. Like again, whose side is this guy on? In, in a kind of funny moment, the whole, like, you know, you know, like, this is what he totally expects us to do. So if we do it, he will be expecting it kind of moment. They're like, we're going to go back through and tax it again. And, you know, with our better weapons, we're going to totally kick his ass. They they actually do a better time, uh, job this time, thanks to the tulip hopper. <laughs> well, and, and, and um, I enjoyed Kaito being in the watermelon arms and, and, and you know, Sid not expecting to get smacked around by that at all. So it was pretty cool seeing yeah, yeah. a kick. It, it, to me, it's nice because I guess since I'm not as big of a fan as, uh, or big of a fan of Sid, it's like, it does, it does make him a good guy to smack around. You know, it's not, it, it, it's not going <laughs> to change my, my opinion of him, but at the same time, it does give some notches on Kota and Kaito's belts to have them, smack around these guys too so so in that regard like that is entertaining and enjoyable i mean it's fun to see baron in the watermelon arms kicking sid's ass you know like that that was a cool scene i mean even though even though like it seems to not have done the job completely you know because then when he go he you know baron finally goes through the the portal into the actual building where he runs into rioma and rioma's still you know, going to give him the usual sit down and chat spiel, whereas Sid just wants to destroy him. And he's like, come on, remember, we're we're hosting guests. Like, don't be so vicious, yeah. you know, and stuff like that. So it's like they, they kind of put that that fight on hold, you know, so he can't he can't slap him back too much because there was that instance where you know baron turns back into kaito you know into his human mode and then you see he's getting kind of like sliced up by these cherry blasts or whatever and it's like oh well if you know and, and, and the other thing i thought was interesting about that scene was uh, a lot of times you're under the impression in these sentai and common writer universes that the only way to rationalize it in my head is that the transformations take place so quickly that we get to see them at normal speed, but they must happen at super speed. Otherwise, somebody could just knock them out of their transformation because it takes so goddamn long for it to happen. But in this case, it's kind of interesting yeah. because Baron, you know, basically Kaito goes for his, his lock seed, but Sid just blasts it out of his hand in that situation. So if, if Ryoma hadn't had, hadn't of interfered and prevented him from, from continuing on, you know, Kaito probably could have bought the farm in that instance. Yeah. And, and this whole time while we're, de we're dealing with Kaito 
having to uh, basically fight for his life against uh, Sid and Ryoma, like apparently wanting wanting to just chat as he is fond of doing. Kaito actually does not get as far as Baron because man, Helheim, Kota, and Zangetsu just a bad mix. Because here comes Zangetsu Shin. And again, he's like kicking his ass. And even with Jimber Lemon arms, Zangetsu gets the upper hand again and just beats down on Kota. I was really looking forward to this rematch. I mean, I see what you're saying. I mean, eventually they they. I think it's. I think there is some growth there. I don't think it's as bad yeah, of a yeah. beatdown as the first match. Like I was kind of hoping Kota would actually kick his ass, but I guess that's not to be at this point in the storyline. But I think to the degree that when they fought, like, they both kind of got knocked out of their modes or whatever, sort of. Like, I was kind of like, well, you know, like, like I, I think at least in this case, like, if if this is, if, if round one was Doomsday killing Superman and, and Kota is... Superman and Zangetsu is doomsday. In this round, this was more of a draw, you know? So, you know, I, I, it's not quite Hunter Prey yet where Superman, you know, it's not it's not quite the point where Superman gets a win over Doomsday. It's not, I, I mean, maybe it is like Hunter Prey, but it's not like the Jeff Loeb issue where Superman just uses, like, all his superpowers in 175 and totally, like, smacks the hell out of Doomsday at super speed and knocks him out, you know? Like, so I, I guess we're not at that point point yet but it, it still I, it was yeah, something well, I anticipated and and the only thing I'd say is you know yeah maybe I'm a little disappointed that that it wasn't the the final fight but I mean we've got so many more episodes I'm sure they will eventually deliver on that like a good Zangetsu Gaim rematch where Gaim finally gets the upper hand uh, at least I hope so yeah and I mean yeah like the first fight I don't even remember uh, guy actually even got a hit in because he was he was pwned he was literally pwned and like yeah this was definitely a little bit better as far as you know Kota showing that he 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 has you know progressed you know like he's been training with weights and you know going into a a room for a year with only a second passing in real life and the thing though that really breaks up the fight though is not a matter of powers or skill Kota's like what you're doing is evil your actions are evil. You know, just, and, and that really kind of hits Takatora. He's like, wait a minute. So you think I'm evil? And he's like, what if I show you what real evil is? And Koda's like, you know, oh? And we all know what happened when he showed Michi what real evil is, you know, what, what the Helheim Force secret is. And I'm pretty sure that's what he's going to do. I mean, would you agree? Yeah, that, that, I mean, that, that to me, it's like, oh, fuck you, cliffhanger, fuck you, because I want to, I want to know what it is, you know. And I'm like, oh man, like now, because I was like thinking, like, oh, this will be a complete arc and everything. But man, it, I mean, it does leave you on a on a good cliffhanger. Like you, you know, I'm, I I know a lot of people are like, oh, how can you just go along with this and watch this stuff when you record the shows? Like, aren't you tempted to move on and everything? And like in this case, I'm kind of like, I want to watch the next episode, but I'm like, oh, I'll wait until we record it, but. But it's just like I was totally like it was like I think I transferred my excitement for what was going to happen next in this. And I watched a bunch of episodes of Drive instead because I was like, I was like, I got to be good, got to be good. And I was like, but that was awesome. Like, I want to see what's going to happen. So, I, I, yeah, I'm definitely anticipating the, the follow up when we when we cover the next arc. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was that was, uh, that was uh, another really good episode. I think some of the, some of the highlights for me, obviously, were you know the 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 the, the Hopper was kind of whatever. It was kind of interesting seeing Mitchie play both sides again. I like that. The fights were great. I mean, Team Baron and Gaim, like the, the tag team of Team Baron and Gaim, getting their ass kicked and then coming back. You know, that was cool. It wasn't round to two power. It was like you know. It's like when a when a good guy gets his ass kicked and he's like, "Okay, we're gonna make a plan this time and not a really shitty one." Yeah, <laughs> and it was also yeah cool that Cigara, you know, again is, he, he's like he's like Mitchie except more mysterious. You know, Mitchie is friends with these guys. Cigara is he even friends with this cabal he's a part of? Because you know you don't see him hanging around these guys anymore. You know, he's just talking to Coda, but you don't know if he's a good guy either because. Like, he's so, you know, vague and, you know, like, he's he's very, you know, he, he plays it closer to the best than Mitchie does, you know? And then, of course, the end. The end was, you know, beautiful as far as cliffhangers. Because you would expect Takatora to just be like, you know, like the last time, you know, he's going to try to get the upper hand and end, you know, Coda. And by the way, I should mention that Coda does have a uh, Sonic era. I don't know if I mentioned that. And you think it's going to be the end, you know? But no, he's like wait, you know, like, you say this, I'll show you this, you know, it, yeah, just it really, you know, I hate to sound like a, a a regular internet reviewer, but really tight writing, you know, everything came together really well. You, you regular internet reviewer, you, with, with your know, tight right? writing comments. No, no, I, I, I think, I think this was pretty entertaining. Like, I mean, as far as pineapples go, I'll, I'll give this one a 4.5. Like, I, I enjoyed this. It didn't have enough hottie cheerleaders with short shorts but i mean other than that like it was it was entertaining and exciting and i i feel like the these last two were were some of the strongest of of the arc and and got me really pumped to see what what is coming next i, I will i will secret brother and go 4.5 as well I, i'm i'm actually going to go as far as to say that while i really enjoyed the first arc pretty completely and there were a couple of not duds but just kind of slower episodes in this arc like this ending episode is a lot stronger than the ending episode for the first arc, I think. Yeah, yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, I, I, I think I think they both had their strong points, but, but I, I see why this is... This is kind of delivering some things that are sort of unofficially promised to you. You know, like, you, you, you figure if, if Kota gets beat down by Zangetsu, there's going to be a rematch at some point. So the, the minute they meet again, you're like, oh, yeah. It's kind of like, it's kind of like when, when Joker, you know, murders Robin and, and shoots Batgirl in the spine. It's kind of like anytime he does something like this, it's like when's the next time he's going to meet Joker again to discuss that shit? You're like, oh, yeah. You know, so it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of like you, you, you get that vibe where you, you want to see that kind of stuff go down so i mean i was definitely looking forward to to zangetsu and and gaim meeting again you know and and so i i mean obviously it it's not the end all be all but this is probably like if you're going to look at it as a 50 episode arc it's kind of like when zex marquis and and hero yui fought the second time so it's not it's not quite as awesome as like their final battle but it's still pretty cool just to see them go at it, you know, and, and, and sort of continue their their physical rivalry, you know, for, for strength and dominance and everything. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, I, I guess I'll, I'll go over, like, as far as the entire arc. I'm not going to give it a rating because I think that, that would be kind of weird. I don't feel like doing averages right now, mainly. As far as the entire arc... Math is hard. <laughs> yeah, math is hard. Math is um, hard. <laughs> this is a... This is a... Uh, <laughs> Durr, Eddie Brock. Uh, no, I mean, <laughs> Durr, Flash Thompson. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I understand what you're saying. It, it is strange to give, like, an entire arc a rating. Yeah, you know, with, especially when they're so high, like mainly, you know, most of them getting high. I, I'm sure, I'm sure, if you if you added up all our ratings, like it would probably come out to an average of like three point five or four because we we pretty consistently yeah. were giving it those kind of ratings. So I'm sure it would, you know, maybe it'd be like a three point seven five or something, but you know, make split <laughs> the difference or something. But but yeah, it was it was it was an enjoyable arc. Yeah, and and it was really it was a. It wasn't a lot shorter, but it was shorter than the first arc, which didn't detract or add anything to it either way. I don't think shorter arcs make something better or longer arcs make something better. It's the story that's being told. And one of the, I think one of the best things about this is, and this is going to sound really simple, but I like the fact that this is called the Yggdrasil arc or adulthood, and it's about Yggdrasil. I like the fact that, you know, there's like, you know, we find out a lot of stuff, you know, and it does get darker. It does get more, you know, you know, what the hell is going on? You know, I, I like that kind of stuff. I like it when you're watching a show and I don't mind getting turned on my ear and like being like, oh, I thought this was this and it's not this. It's, it's totally this, you know? <laughs> yeah, it must be nice that, that, that in a lot of cases you've got titles or in the cases of comic books, you know, you've got covers that don't deliver on what they actually promise. But I think the reason why this speaks to you is, you know, it is indicated as the Yadrizzle saga, and it is indicated as the adulthood saga, and it definitely deals with the corporation, and it deals with the themes of adulthood, and so it definitely delivers on on what it has, again, like, I guess my phrasing, what what it is unofficially promised you, it, it, it has delivered upon. So I, I think that's a, a feather in its cap. So, yeah, overall, uh, Common Rider Guy, we're, we're ending on issue, uh, issue, episode 19. And overall, we're still really hyped for it, uh, even possibly more so on Derek's side, because he doesn't know what happens after the cliffhanger. Um, I do. It's good stuff. Don't worry. You'll, you'll, you'll be happy. Yeah, we're really digging the show. As I, as Derek stated, we're kind of going chronologically. We're not just doing the Gaim series uh, by itself. We're actually doing these specials and movies. And even though I'm a big Gaim fan, I haven't actually watched all those. So what's the next uh, episode from Toku Thursdays they should be expecting from Gaim, uh, Derek? So the next one is going to be a side piece that's called Gaim Hyper Battle. And it's a DVD that says, Fresh Orange Arms is Born. You can also seize it, the power of fresh. So I assume maybe this is something that that happens either in between this or, or, or is kind of like a Gaiden, like a side kind of adventure or something like that. So I guess we'll we'll see that for the next episode of Toku Thursdays. And then following that, then we'll... we'll dig back into the, the Helheim saga, which is going to be the next arc of the series proper. So that's that's our plan moving forward. 
Yeah, and unlike unlike the regular series guy, I actually haven't watched a lot of these specials, so I am uh, watching it with fresh eyes, just like Derek has with the uh, episode. So that's always good. <clears throat> I think that pretty much wraps up this episode of Toki Thursdays. On that note, I thank you guys for being with us and listening to these. I'm I'm glad to hear you people enjoy this. Please send us feedback. If you'd like to do that, we're on Facebook. We also have our trusted email that is uh, fanholespodcast at gmail dot com. You could go. You see us on the. Uh, Website proper, fanholespodcast at blogspot.com. We have a Twitter, we have Instagram, we have a Tumblr, we're on Stitcher Radio, live streaming. We also would love for you to go to iTunes. Give us some ratings. It, it actually helps, believe it or not. We actually do like the ratings on iTunes. It's always good stuff. We love giving you guys new content. We love you guys to listen and enjoy what we do. We're going to do more Toku. Uh, after Gaim, who knows? But Gaim's going to take a minute, so hopefully you're enjoying it. Um, other than that, we appreciate everybody listening every week to the fan holes. Uh, we do other stuff. We do uh, Transformer Tuesdays. We do Mobile Suit Mondays. We do the fan holes podcast proper. We're going to get back to Sentai Saturday soon, I promise. We just got to figure out what we're going to do next. <laughs> but uh, other than that, you know, I think we've uh, gone through the arc of the Yggdrasil saga and adulthood pretty well i'm happy with the episode i had a lot of fun talking to uh, my friend derek on it and until then this is tony and this is derek derek wc signing off hot pets forever i love those girls so much so so much <laughs> peace Koda, Kotu, and um, he decides to go meet up with Kaipo. Kaipo. It's, it's hard saying these names when you when you talk about this stuff so long. Ryoko, uh, or or what's his name, Ryoma. Um, I knew you were going to give it that a five. I just knew it as soon as you said that. <laughs> it's like hot, uh, short short girls with the white suits, like five out of five. I was I was surprised that they I was just surprised that they came back and they were on the regular series because I was like I thought I thought it was just like you know like, like a on, on a Hollywood movie set where they like hire hot girls because the director wants some hot girls on the set and like you know part <laughs> of the budget is like his his cocaine habit or whatever I thought it was just like part of the movie budget but no like they they're actually on the TV show too so I was like that's awesome I want coke and starlets coke and starlets that's all I want. <laughs> I was like, for sure, this is just part of a movie budget. Like, they're 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 too hot for a TV budget. But I was like, oh no, there there they are.